This is Bottom of the Bill. And this is something that young musicians need to hear. I had the worst habit of whenever anybody would give me a compliment I know this is going, after yeah. a performance, <laughs> I would like immediately shit on that. I'd be like, nah, dude. Nah, it wasn't, ah, man, it wasn't very good, man. Nah, it, I was hacking it, you know. When people compliment you and people like what you do, just say thank you. Yep. Yeah. Just say thank you, man. Because you're like devaluing what they, you're, you're telling them that their opinion is shit. Exactly. And they don't know what the fuck they're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Like, that's so rude. They're trying to build you up by saying, hey, something you did affected me positively. Exactly. And you're shitting on them. Yeah. Like, don't do that. It has served me personally as an improviser. The idea of intentionality, like, play, like playing with intention. Yeah. And it's like the intention behind what you're doing is often the most powerful part. Totally. It's way more powerful than than the mechanics of what you're doing. Like I'm literally trying to like just put myself into the moment. It's a it's a mindset. It's like a thing. It's like I'm trying to like, you know, telepathically get you involved. Yeah. I'm just gonna raw dog life. That Fuck coffee. That a boy. Welcome to Bottom of the Bill, everybody. This week we got Juan Royan or Juan Roland, as most of you guys know him. But before we get to all of that, we're going to do our weekly check-in. How are you doing, Chris? Well, I'm great. If not a little sleepy, but doing phenomenal. A little sleepy. Put That's, some little, some pep in your step there, bud. That got me. That was the little bit of lemon zest of life I needed <laughs> right there to, to really just take my day to another level. What have you been doing this week? Got you so tired. Um, I've been doing some office work. Um that is, oh yeah, you go right ahead. Sorry knock, guys, knock, I know, knock, I'm knock trying to out. like, sorry, the, the mic stand is in a wonky place. I'm just trying to adjust. That's good, there you go. Anyways, you comfy, you good over there? I think I'm good, yeah. Um, was doing some uh, office work for the Florida Theater and um, all the theaters in Florida. Um, so basically just working with uh, booking agents trying to get artists into venues. Met some cool artist reps and got some cool behind the scenes but uh that was a long three days of just kind of admin business work so uh, you sit there and listen to them and pitch you ideas essentially yeah um and just kind of help facilitate the whole thing um like at least bits and pieces of it but yeah uh, get their get their 15 minute sizzle pitch and and watch everyone kind of take their notes and figure out i mean it was everyone from like the guests who and ludicrous to uh you know 45 elvis impersonators it was <laughs> it was a lot there was a range some dance stuff some really prepared people some really unprepared people just like any music scene it was it was just at this level too i was like oh, I, I know all of you guys i recognize all of this um so yeah so i was doing that on top of you know and I had like a multi-screen setup, kind of like I got here. I had two screens and then my laptop. So like the Zoom meeting's going over here. I'm checking in. I'm like, all right, they're good. Cool. So like, let me do some podcast stuff over here. And like, okay, they're back. Oh, they're looking at me. <laughs> cool. What's going on? Oh, it's muted. Great. I'll fix that. And uh, um, cool. I'll go practice this. <laughs> oh, boy. So, um, this is just juggling. It was fun. Nice. Um, that's pretty much the big thing. And then, you know, prepping for this weekend of gigs that's coming up for us now and for you guys has just happened was getting ready for all that three three unique uh bands over uh over the weekend each of them with their own in-depth set um 
you know, not just three fill-in gigs here and there. So each each group's got their own, uh, you know, chunk going on. We got the gig with Jeremy King and KP and Hamby tonight, um, FinFest tomorrow, and then two gigs with Madison Hughes getting ready for the Underbelly show. So just shedding a lot and just making sure I have all this music down. It's uh, three nights of music condensed into my brain in one week is is uh it's about is about where i want to draw the line yeah yeah for sure um but yeah that's that's what my week's looking at relatively chill overall who are you playing Finfest with kalani kalani oh. rose and the vibe word playing bass we got a horn section and everything um ran the rehearsals for that and those guys came in and just played everything like they played on the record and it was very very sharp very snappy all the guys from bold city classics um they did awesome so it's gonna be a fun set nice man that's awesome what about you what you been getting into um i stopped drinking caffeine this week ah, so because i was having some weirdness going on so um my aunt recommended that i stop drinking caffeine and see how that goes and what a catastrophe it's been for my productivity <laughs> i'll tell you that much um oh the uh the society built off caffeine and productivity yeah. and here we are i'm just like like i don't know it's just, it's just what I, I think i'm just going through like a crashing period um so i've just been tired and lazy all week so i'm just trying to get back into the swing of things i've been like slowly getting like i took basically a week off of the gym last week because i hurt my hip when i was doing the sparring stuff when i was like uh uh, the the fighters at the at the Muay Thai gym. There's three of them that were prepping to go to a fight down in Miami this weekend, which will have been which I'll have passed by now. Um, but uh, um, so we were like doing rounds with those guys. We went in, uh, in on a Saturday morning and we did like a fight night uh, or a, a fight camp kind of prepping thing. Uh -huh. And so um, we did like three hours of just straight sparring just rotating sparring the whole time and it was pretty intense and i like messed my hip up so i couldn't uh i was just taking i was just taking precautions and taking a week off from the gym um and then uh this week uh, i've been trying to get back into it but with the lack of caffeine in my life i've been having a hard time getting back into the swing of it so i'm hoping next week i can get back into the swing of it uh, i've gone to like I've, I've gone to muay thai twice this week and i went to the gym once but that's a real that's like not a not a good week for me so yeah um you know so i'm just trying to get back into it with that i had some gigs over the weekend played with dustin at prohibition kitchen which is cool how'd that go i saw some uh some videos it was i mean it was it was a packed packed house he brought like he works down in saint augustine so he had a lot of people come out to support him nice so it was like a room full of people that were like you know into it and then so that was cool um play we had ramos and uh and aaron playing with us and we had some like harmonica player steve who i don't know yeah i was gonna ask about that some just do from the audience or no i mean dustin knew him he, had, he was i guess he was supposed to jam on a few tunes he ended up playing the whole time so but hmm. he was pretty solid kalani came and she sat in for a tune nice um and yeah so it was cool 
that was really it. Now I'm kind of like, I don't have a whole lot of gigs in the books right now, so I'm just trying to fill my calendar with stuff. Yeah, find some more, find some more places to go and get at it with. Yeah. So that means people can call you for some work if they're listening to this. They just be like, Ants on the Plume, he'll come paint your kitchen. No. He'll come. Uh, I won't do that. But um, <laughs> you, Nor do you want me to do that. Uh, <laughs> as you can see by the fantastic welcome, job we did in the welcome podcast Welcome to the studio. studio. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what was I going to say? I mean, I'll take, you know, I'm still like, I, I'm still at a point where I'm just not going to do gigs I don't want to do. Yeah. So like, you know. I've had a couple offers and I'm just like, nah. <laughs> like, Slap a zero on them offers. Get this guy working and paid, yo. Yeah. Um, so, you know. Anyways, uh, that's what's been going on. This week, yeah. we got a. Wait, hold on. Before we get to that, what you're releasing. Uh, what's oh, going on with Alchemy? That's right. That's right. Um, so, I guess the um, the first single, No More, will be dropping. Uh, if you're listening to this now, it'll drop on Friday, um, the 22nd. Um, the music video will also drop. We did some, uh, we just went and worked on uh, kind of the finishing touches on the video production stuff. So that's looking great. Um, and it's going to all be out. You'll see some more stuff online this week. It'll be like the kind of final push to get get it in front of your eyes and get it in your brains to remember uh, to go out and check it out and stream it. Um, so that'll be out Friday, and then the next single will announce that date um, next week. So it's all moving. It's all getting there. Cool. Hell yeah, it's exciting, man. Appreciate it. It's looked so ready for this to be out. <laughs> it's <laughs> unreal. Yeah, I know that process is can be grueling. Yeah, but it's it's exciting grueling, but it is like, just like, did I, did I remember to do this today? Okay, yes. If not... Someone will uh, someone will let me know. Hey, this yeah. is coming out is one way or another. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but it's uh, it's coming to the world this Friday. Cool. Stream it, yo. Hell yeah. Um, I'm actually meeting with Rick after this to go after to like start to, to finish up my songs. Nice. And uh, strictly acoustic EP, or maybe it's an album. I don't know. Seven tunes. Um, with some video stuff, so I gotta start going through. Jay just uploaded a bunch of behind the scenes stuff. I gotta start sifting through all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of exciting stuff going on here. Bottom of the bill. Our camp is making tunes. Um, all right, so Juan rolling this week on the podcast. For those who don't know, he's a phenomenal sax player. He's um, uh, just super talented and insightful musician. I thought this episode was really fun. Uh, Chris was virtually um, in a different zone, so <laughs> he was uh, uh, for about a th- two thirds of it. Yeah, well, he, it's yeah until like the end of it when we did the unpopular opinions and stuff. You say end, but it's like an hour and fifteen of unpopular opinions this week. Oh, it is. Yeah, we oh get yeah, it. because we, 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 we really get going, into it because we kept going on the conversation after two. I really uh, really tweaked tweaked some buttons on these. Really got you going. <laughs> what else is new? <laughs> um, but uh, it was, I thought it was more of the reason why I was saying that is just because I think Juan and I were so like locked in mm-hmm. that there was just like, you know, the flow was just there. There was almost like no room to like, interject. Sometimes, oh, I mean, sometimes I look over at you when I'm having like a hard time. 
I'm like, yeah, so Chris, what do you think? And that didn't happen. The socioeconomic problems in China are crazy right yeah. now, guys. You want to talk about it? And yeah. there was none of that. There was no room for China in this one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah, so it was a, it was a really good uh, uh, podcast. So, uh, oh, but he, and he's, he's promoting his uh, Love Supreme tribute at Blue Jay this Friday. So after you listen to Alchematic's new single, you should go and get tickets to go see the Love Supreme uh, show at On Blue Jay. Saturday. Saturday. You can stream while you buy your tickets at bluejay.com, bluejayjacks.com, and uh, then our single will carry you over to the Blue Jay to go listen to some Coltrane. Yeah. Um, I'm On his birthday. I think I'm going to go to that. I don't think I have anything going on on Saturday. Um, so, oh, no, it's Aaron's wedding, so I can't go to that. Oh, yeah. But everyone who's not going to be at Aaron's wedding should for sure go see Juan crush Love Supreme. Do you remember who's in the, who's all in the band? Um, I don't. So I don't know if it's the exact lineup he used last time. Uh, um. Uh, I want to say it's Stefan, Stan, and maybe Jonah. I apologize if it's if that's not it. Well, I'm sure I'm pretty can, sure he mentions it in the episodes. That's so. right. Um, and so you can find out there uh, again. Get your tickets at bluejayjacks.com, uh, and uh, we have new merchandise coming out as well. Uh, Jay just made some cool additions to the store which is going to be linked in the description below make sure you like subscribe all that good stuff share tell all your friends about it we're trying to get the word out about this podcast help us do it any help goes such a long way you have no idea um and buy some merchandise and help make us some money we'd greatly appreciate it and um, if this is your first time streaming and tuning in go check out some of the older episodes and see see what you think you know, yeah. Uh, let us know. Let, let us know what you think in the comments. Also, it goes yeah. a long way. As let well. us uh, like kind of the direction you want to see you go. All that good stuff. Yeah, we're here for you guys. Uh, all right, guys. Well, enjoy the episode. This is bottom of the bill. Does that work for you there? Is that cool? Yeah, whatever's comfortable for you. Is that Absolutely. good? Perfect. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I did grow up in Miami. My dad's Cuban. My mom is American. Okay. Uh, it's complicated, but we moved to Broward County when I was very young. At the time, like now, Broward is just as Latin as Miami in a lot of ways, but at the time, it was not. Mm. And so when I was a kid growing up, everyone spoke English. I'm um, in elementary school, so I didn't want to speak Spanish. So Spanish was my first language. Yeah. And then my dad kept trying to push it, and then I re I rejected his. Uh, I wouldn't. I just wouldn't respond to him if he spoke to me in Spanish. And then we used to have like Noche Buena and all that stuff with all my extended family, which stopped when my parents got like married or when they were like you know the more we st they they my mom wanted to start our own traditions and we stopped going to all the Cuban family stuff. And so my access to my abuela and abuelo was like, you know, not as much, it, the influence wasn't as much there anymore. Gotcha. So over time, I just kind of lost it. Now, fast forward to high school, yeah. <laughs> okay? Um, everybody at my high school, I mean, the vast majority were Puerto Rican and Dominicans from New York. Okay. Or, uh, you know, Cubans. And then um, 
I instantly regretted not speaking Spanish because all the girls spoke Spanish and all the guys were speaking Spanish. And if you wanted to run game, you had to speak Spanish and like everyone's having conversations around you and you're just like, not only do you feel excluded because you don't fully comprehend what's going on, but you're also firmly aware of the fact that you're Cuban and right. you don't have, like, you don't, now you've lost that card. They're like, what's say. wrong with you? Yeah. Like, what? And then I started working at Sam Ash in Miami, okay. Miami Gardens, and I, I worked in sales my second year there. So I started picking up a little bit more. But, bro, can I tell you how many sales I lost out on? Because you couldn't. Because I couldn't. Uh. And even if they could speak English, just because I was Cuban and couldn't speak Spanish, they were like, find me somebody else. Oh, in English, wow. they would tell me that. Yeah. I'm just like, dude, are you serious? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very much ashamed of the fact that I don't have a firm grasp on the language. I mean, don't, I wouldn't be ashamed. <laughs> it's just circumstantial, you know? Yeah, like, but, you, but there's a part of me that, that as I, especially as I get older and having grown up to predominantly Latin culture, I do feel a bit of a responsibility to be somewhat of an ambassador for it, especially when I go to other places right. that don't have as much of that, of that influence. I like to bring my perspective of it to other places. Sure. Um, but when you speak to other spe other Spanish speakers, uh, then you kind of lose a little bit of that edge because it's like, well, you might be aware of the traditions and a lot of the history, but you don't speak the language. Right. So I'm like, all right, man, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Fuck yeah, me, right? totally. <laughs> totally. I mean, I've got into the habit of like, of just, you know, cause, because I, I'm sure that you're very similar in this way where you understand what people are saying to you. Yeah, more or Somebody less. Yeah. Like, blah, 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 and you're like, you know it. I you can know pick what up some stuff, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's the responding. So I've just gotten into the habit. I've just like humbled myself to the fact that like, okay, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up in Miami, right? So I wasn't around, you know, we would only go to family functions a few times a year where my abuelos were all speaking Spanish and my, my, my uncles and my aunts and everything, they were speaking Spanish. So I would pick it up just that way, sort of organically, whenever we would go to Miami, right? right? But I've just gotten into the habit of, um, I just ask, you know, like, cause I can, I, I respond as best as I can. And if I feel like I'm tripping up, I'm always like, como se dice? I'm like, mm. and they always help me out, you know? Yeah. And that, I feel like that helps. Cause it's, it's like, I'm not a Spanish scholar. You know, I, I, I'm, you know, obviously I'm far more adept speaking English. That's my native language right. is, is English. So I don't feel bad about that. Do you, did your parents not speak Spanish to you in the house? You know, it's, they, they didn't because I mean, I figure, you know, cause they, they were brought over as children, you know, both, both sides of the family defected in like the fifties, okay. in the late fifties, early sixties, nice, you yeah. know? And so like they got here as children, so they had to adapt and learn. They had to speak American. Right. It's so funny, man. <laughs> so my, my dad came here in 61 and he was like six years old or something, seven years old. And um, when, you know, I'm sure your parents had a similar thing what, uh, coming up in the 60s and 70s um, where, you know, across Florida, like segregation was still happening and stuff. Mm, big time. You know, so uh, my dad had a similar story in the sense where when you were out in the world, you spoke English because as long as they thought you were white, you're solid, right? Um, now, at home, though, it was strictly Spanish. So my dad kept all the Spanish, right? I mean, he's not like, again, he's not a scholar, 
but he can fluently carry a con- there's no if like he just he, it's in him ingrained yeah. he, now that he's getting older and my stepmom's venezuelan so they speak a lot of spanish in the house i even noticed now that he's getting older he reverts back to spanish a lot because it's just what's ingrained in him sure but yeah like he has no accent and he didn't he had the long hair the hippie thing going on he was like nope I'm American. Yep. Until you start talking shit about me in Spanish, then I know everything you're saying. I know everything you're saying, exactly. <laughs> Did you ever come across that when you were younger? Yeah. I mean, um, I, I would say so. Like, my parents are, this, are exactly the same. You know, they don't, there's no accent whatsoever. Yeah. You know, they're fully integrated into American society and culture. And yeah. It's so interesting how you, have the, you kind of had to like wear that cloak you know because it was like there's really no safe haven like my dad had the issue of like in his neighborhood he he grew up like he was living in hialeah at the time hialeah was not all latin hialeah was all white you know oh, was it oh yeah when in the early 60s you oh know? yeah of course so yeah. like he was because they had had they hadn't yet gotten like the huge influx right. of, of refugees right they know? had their first influx in the late 50s early 60s and then there wasn't another big one till the 80s you know the the mariel boat lift and all that right so it was like so for so he would get harassed by you know the people on the way to the bus stop and he got jumped a couple of times mm-hmm. but then at school you know when they, in you know in the 70s when they did when they desegregated you know he went to miami central high and that was the first year they desegregated, and then he was getting attacked by the black gangs. So it was like you, he yeah, didn't getting it from all angles. Yeah, it was like, like where, do, like where do we fucking? Okay, yeah. I guess I don't know. I just won't speak Spanish. Then I'll listen to rock and roll and call it a day. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Yeah. So, can you speak to a little bit about your, um, I guess, the background of being Latin and how it pertains to your, you know, influence as a musician? So, <clears throat> my my dad is he's like he's the music fan of the family and and i like i grew up in a house with uh with him playing records you know he he's always had a he's always had a a a turntable and um but it's interesting because you know like he he wasn't he loves latin music I, i feel very fortunate that like growing up i i got like a pretty eclectic mix of influences just based on what he was listening to but he always had a particular fondness for like for jazz music okay um and some latin he was really into like latin jazz a lot of like tito puente yeah you know what i mean um but he also loved i mean i grew up listening to like you know he has like he's got like the original thriller vinyl you know like, I don't know if you've seen the, the vinyl where you open it up and it's like him, like with a tiger. I don't you know? remember that. Oh, no. it's so cool, man. Yeah. So like a lot of, you know, MJ and, and, um, I mean, anything you can think of a, a, a particular, but he was particularly interested in, it was either Latin music, not a lot of Latin music. Like I said, Tito Puente is the one that sticks out the most because he has a bunch of Tito Puente records, but a lot of black music, man. He loved, um, uh, just a lot of like rhythm, like rhythm and blues you know, and like Motown, mm. he was super into that stuff and jazz music, you know, that was like, that was, that was, those were his things, man. Like, like soul music and jazz music. That's awesome. So that I think seeped in more than, more than anything, you know, but yeah, as far as the Latin music thing, what's interesting is that when, when I linked up with LPT, when LPT sort of started to become a thing, um, I, 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 to this day, I tell people that like one of the things I'm most grateful uh, for LPT is that like I feel 
because I didn't grow up in Miami where every other radio station is salsa or right. some variation right. of of um, of Latino music. Right. You know what I mean? I didn't grow up around that, and so I felt like LPT kind of like plugged in this sort of cultural gap more or mm. less for me personally. Yeah, totally. It was like from from the downbeat of the first rehearsal, I was like, it was weird. because and, and I do feel like there's something, there's like a genetic, I think there's some genetic shit going on with, with music, dude. Because like it's in there. Yeah. Like the Caribbean is in my blood. Both of my parents are from are from Cuba. So like there's a thing. It's it, And when, when it started and when we started really like becoming a thing, it just felt so natural to me. And it felt like, oh, this is what I've been missing. It's like my musical life is now complete. Right. You know, LPT, I feel like really made me feel that way more than anything. But, you know, I say that, but then I met Billy Gilmore a few years ago, the bluegrass master. And I was like, oh, now my musical life yeah. is complete. <laughs> like, I, who would have thought? If you'd have told me like six or seven years ago that like I was going to be into two things. I was going to be super into like bluegrass and super into like electronic music i'd have been like dude get out of my face i don't yeah. like that shit there's <laughs> a bunch of dudes pushing buttons and whatever and like bluegrass just a bunch of hillbillies doing bullshit you know like i i was so ignorant so i feel like you know yeah it's just always a journey man i can't i like i'm i'm becoming more and more of like the sort of like musical mutt in 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 a way i mean obviously i feel like the instrument that we choose to play largely dictates you know like the the music that we get into yeah 100%. right like if you're a guitar player most kids that like start on guitar dude you start with rock and roll yeah i was rock and roll or blues DC, yeah yeah that's where you start totally you know what i mean and if you're a saxophone player naturally you're gonna start with with jazz right because i mean of like of all of the recorded musics that the jazz idiom is the one that you can hear the saxophone most prominently you know so it was just sort of a natural thing. I mean, I happen to like it. It's not like, well, I play saxophone, I better play jazz. Right. I love jazz, but like, but it just happens to be that way. Yeah, that's you know? a, there's it's more of like a there's also more of just like a collegiate kind of aspect to it, right? Or academic, sure. where like you a lot of people pick it up for the first time in like high school or middle school and they stick with it and like through college and then it's like they they probably don't discover their love for the instrument until like late high school, college, and then they're like, oh, wait, yeah, this thing is, like, amazing. And then yeah. you go to college, and then you do all that stuff. The way in which it exists, it's still very, it's it's more or less unchanged, right? Like, the guitar goes through this evolution over the last hundred years from, like, acoustic, then you have electric, and then you have what we know to be, like, the electric guitar today, where these new, like, ways to express yourself started becoming available and it was like and a lot of these guys that were expressing themselves had no background you know in schooling or education sure and it was just like streets yeah exactly yeah. and then you get a lot of like you know so i don't know I, I think there's a lot there as well with uh with like you know the the background the history of like you know how the instruments came to be you know totally but like and, I, and to your point about like your like being into different styles of music, I think as a true musician or creator or artist in general, what fuels that I think is a curiosity beyond anything, anything else. So like, you know, the more you're exposed to different things and as a player, you play different things. It's like that's that fulfillment that you get 
from playing something like bluegrass that you never thought you would get into, especially as untraditional as it is for a sax player. Exactly. You know, but like once you find your kind of pocket in there and you do your thing, you're like, oh man, this is it works. amazing. This works and it's cool. Because it's yeah. that, that curiosity of like figuring it out. It's like, well, how do I do this? And then when you figure it out, it's this conquered territory now. Totally. And you have a whole new respect for it, especially when you understand how it works, yeah. right? Well, I don't know that I ever feel like it's conquered territory. I, I don't personally yeah. feel like I've conquered shit. Yeah. I, In I, fact, you know, I, what I love the most about music is that, like, the more you learn, the more experience that we gain and the more that we learn as musicians, I feel like the more is revealed to us that we don't know. Yeah, it's totally. Like, it's like you, there's no, there's no, like, ceiling, you know what I mean? Totally. For, like, your, for a person's, like, virtuosity or... Uh, your your knowledge base or your experience it's like that's why i think the most humble attitude that any of us could have as musicians is like dude i am a lifelong student of yeah, this definitely, period definitely and i can become 90 years old and still i probably won't feel like i know shit when i'm 90 right you, you see what i'm saying yeah like, totally so that's that's one of the things i love about it the most is that it's this sort of like infinite progression this infinite growth yeah man you know i'm constantly humbled by um uh, the world of jazz because I don't come from that world at all. And um, as much as I've tried to dip my toes in it, I can't seem to get a firm understanding of it, right? Um, probably because I don't listen to as much of it as, as I should. But uh, it's, it's, it's what for me keeps me like just that, that desire to try and like find a, a space or like implement some of that language into the way that I play that keeps me thirsty. I think, you know, it's such because it's such a, a mind fuck for me, that dude, genre it's a fuck for all of us. dude. <laughs> it, it's when I see guys like you or when I, when we saw, when I saw, um, yeah, when, when we saw Taylor play the other night, when I see that kind of stuff, I'm like, you guys just, get up there and you call the tunes and you just know them and you play them. And there's not in the same way that I would go and play like last dance with Mary Jane. Right. Sure. It's that under your fingers and in your head, there's not a, there's not a part of you that feels insecure about playing those tunes. And to me, if you know them, if you know them, <laughs> if you yes. know them yeah. And that's what's so, so magical to me about it. It's like, yeah, you know them, but there's, there's such a technical side to it because there's a lot of changes happening at, at once. And there's a lot of like, you know, there's, there's movements that you have to be aware of and how to like, so it, it, and for me, like my brain gets jumbled when I start to try and think about it that way. And then I can't perform, you know, I feel you. I feel you personally. I feel very, very fortunate. Um, and th this is like a rep Jacksonville moment. I, you know, I feel like one of the coolest things about our city. And I feel like it's one of the like best kept national secrets in some ways yeah. is that, Music education in Jacksonville is like top class. Yeah. At least it was. It was for me coming up. Like, I mean, I graduated high school in 96 from Douglas Anderson. Um, but even when I graduated from Douglas Anderson, of course, you know, it's the magnet arts program. And it's, you know, like if you're like a little music nerd, that's where you want to go. Right. But there were a, a handful of like high school programs, like I know uh, Wolfson, I know St. Augustine High, I think Fletcher. Um, there, there, there were a handful of high schools that had 
really great programs, like great marching bands, great symphonic bands. A handful of them had actually really solid jazz bands too. Um, and so, uh, you know, I feel like Jacksonville is like this magical place. It's like, it's, I, it's an amazing place to learn how to play music. Yeah, definitely. Cause like music education is, is wonderful here. Yeah. And I feel, um, I feel really fortunate that I, I just all props to any of my like former educators, like my, you know, my past teachers, all of them, because, uh, you know, when you listen to like a jazz record, it, you I mean, it is a mind fuck. You're like, oh my God, it's like wizardry. Like, how do you do this? But but you get an educator who just knows how to like deconstruct everything. It's like, no, it's it's not as hard as you think. We're gonna start here. Right. You know, and and I've like adapted, you know, kind of like my own sort of system of that, where for me, everything is derived from the major scale mm-hmm. in Western music. Right. Everything. Like harmony is not harmony is super advanced. Right, and sometimes it's 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 like it's mind-boggling and it's dizzying and it's headache-inducing, often. But you can still just simplify. There's so many things you can simplify, you know, and it all comes back full circle to the major scale. Right, and if you know your major scales well, then like that's the foundation, and and anything else that you do is is derived. I mean, even the minor right is derived from the major, right? So right. it's like. Just, I was very fortunate, man, that I had great teachers. You know, UNF, um, I mean, my, my first great teacher was a student at UNF when I was in high school, and he was a student of the great Bunky Green, mm. right? And so, you know, it's just like this, it's this, this, this oral tradition that's passed down, you know, and it's like anything else, man. Like, you know, we can't speak or form sentences or, or, or write, you know, paragraph structure, any of that without knowing the alphabet. Yeah. Right. So it's like it's a system, you know, like you start here and you slowly develop to get here. Right. And then once you get here, you're like, there's a whole nother place to get. And it's like so that's why I say, like, being a lifelong student, it's like we're all just learning. And I know and I appreciate you saying that, like you hear guys like me or whatever do it. It's like, man, we, we feel the same way. We're like. We're always clamoring for this like thing, you know, for the, this perfection. Right. It's it's the pursuit of that that makes it interesting. I don't know. I love it, but but I love all types of music. And it's like you said, that curiosity of like how do we get frequencies to to mesh in a beautiful way that like, you know, that that whole that whole metaphysical thing where it's like, how can you like hit a thing or pluck a string or or blow through a pipe in such a way that like when people when those frequencies hit people's ears you know it like invokes like emotion and like totally. gives people goosebumps like that's heavy man that's what is that totally <laughs> like what is that you totally know? And it's pretty magical it's amazing man and then and then to think about like just something as simple as where you place a beat right that can that can totally shift the genre that you're playing right like you know you talk about like like the close cousins of like a shuffle and a swing, right? And then but like those are very different approaches, but they're just like you're talking about just like like, like little nuanced just moving changes. that one thing. Right. It's, it's all based off that triplet, but just where you're like what part of it are you emphasizing? Totally. And this that changes the entire genre of music that you're playing. And then it's like and to think, well now then you get like, you know, further than that, you get like pop music and you get southern rock and you get like like you know, like gypsy jazz or like 
all these different genres of music that start to emerge and it's like and like how do you then like service that music right when you go into those scenarios and that's what i'm always trying to do and that's why i find myself getting overwhelmed i think because i i'm like having not had that that like you know structured background in music i've always been like pulling a little bit from everywhere and then never fully becoming good at one thing i'm just i used to try and find your voice in that particular thing and then you get like jumbled right so it's like there's times where i can be like i can sit in in like a funk situation i'm like okay this feels good but then like maybe i start to think about like well maybe you can try this over that and then like it, i don't know there's just like that curiosity i feel like can sometimes do you a disservice if you don't have like the discipline to focus on like one thing totally right do you ever feel that uh, yeah. I mean, and as I've gotten older, I, I feel like part of the aging process as a musician is learning to play less. Yeah. Is learning to like, in, like not be so about myself in the moment. Right. And instead take a moment to stop playing, listen to what's going on around you, reset, and then jump back into the groove, which you're creating as a unit. Right. So it's, but I, I totally get what you're saying. It's like, um, you, well, I guess that's the nature of experimentation, isn't it? Right? right. Like sometimes you're going to succeed and sometimes you're going to fail. Yeah. And that's just the nature of the game. And, it, and it's especially true for somebody who's, whose craft is like improvisation as a, as a career choice. <laughs> right. I mean, that, that's like my whole, that's my whole career is responding to like oh sorry, like responding to music happening around me you know um i've just crafted this sort of like this niche for myself of like improvising just listening and responding in the moment to what's happening around me right and so just just over time i've learned like you know it when we're younger when i was a young aspiring jazz musician it was all it was like me 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 it was like oh l let me let me dazzle you with my technical prowess you right. know what i mean and like um and as and it just the age kind of tempers that ego out of you ever so slightly to where it's like okay it this whole thing i'm starting to understand is not about me but it really is about us it's like about what can the four of us do as a unit it's not like granted rhythm section players are accompanists in those moments for soloists mm -hmm. that's true that's the role like a piano player has to comp the changes you know of the tune um but like but it becomes like this greater thing when it becomes more interactive where the soloist is like okay this isn't just about me like if you hear the drummer do like a little like fill or a pattern or something where you can like jump off of and sometimes like that'll springboard you into doing something with him like a collaborative thing in that moment it's like it's like a democracy really yeah it's i mean it, it you know what i'm saying it's like it's a conversation. It's it really is. I mean, yeah. like that, like. But we don't think that when we're younger. No, not we're at like, all. We're like, oh, look at listen to this bird lake I just transcribed yeah. or whatever. You know what I mean? And there's so much, there's so much to that process though that's important too, right? Because then we figure out, like, in those experiences, we have to, we have to try and figure out where to place those things because it does those licks do have a purpose they they exist so yeah. like finding out what that purpose is 
uh, is important, but like going through those those growing pains, I think is where you figure that out. Where you have band leaders either either turn around and be like, "What the fuck are you doing?" I know. Or you have like, or maybe you just maybe you bomb so badly that you just realize like that was that was not good, and I right. need to not do that anymore, right? But like you have to have those growing pains and just trying to put shit in weird places totally until you find out yeah. where it makes sense, you know? Yeah. Well, for me, like jazz music, it, I. I I, I, this is something that I preach more and more when I'm teaching like camps or like my, you know, my private students or anything is like, I like to say like, I love one of the things I love the most about jazz is like, it really is like the perfect parallel or, or, or metaphor for life really yeah. for, 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 for the human experience in the sense that, you know, like in theory, I mean, I, I, we would hope that we would all be this way, but you know, from 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 the moment of birth to where we currently are at it's like this process i think of of refinement where we're learning to in and in, in every moment we're learning to try at least to make better decisions right right and jazz is no different mm -hmm. it's like this this huge process of like you just learn to make better decisions yeah man the you judgment I mean? calls but you have to but like but you have to make like a lot of shitty decisions <laughs> and pay the price for them yeah before you're like okay before like the next time that you encounter that situation where you're like okay i'm let me choose to do this differently like and that that applies to just us as people like we become i think in like i said in theory it should be this way we'll become more patient in our like interpersonal you know relationships and things like that and 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 i feel like me it's just jazz is that way and not just jazz i mean just Music in general, sure, right? I you mean, know, it's like a, a lifelong process of learning to make better choices. Man. Yeah, and the, and the concept of you know, in any style of music, I guess, but really where I think it becomes obvious are like certain uh, aspects of classical music and in jazz, like the, this idea of tension and release. Like this is life. This is like you don't have life without friction right like that's right. literally what creates the thing so in music when you have that you know that concept it really like there's it, it works there there's a there's a there's a positive response from it from the listener like they get something out of it you know and then furthermore in how you you know being patient with what you have to say in the context of music and relating that into your everyday life you know when you're having a conversation with people understanding how to listen to what they're saying mm. and take a breath and then respond accordingly. Right. But if you're sitting there saying, well, I don't like X, Y, and Z. And then the person goes like, well, you know, I just think drinking water is good. Like, wait, what? <laughs> or we're not, we're not having the same conversation. Right. 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 So it's like, I think that there are principles there that, you know, if you don't understand music, and this, you don't have to have a like a like like a education per se. But even people that love music, I think that intuitively understand this. I think that this can translate, you know, into everyday life. But people that that have no affinity for it or that don't think about it, I think lack those maybe interpersonal skills. Because mm. if if art imitates life, right, then the only way to I think understand it objectively is to consume art. Right. I think you're right. Like, I mean, I can't it's just in any other scenario, you think about like, where do we learn? Like, like it's, it's nearly impossible to see how something is operating when you're in the midst of the thing. 
It's not till after the fact that you understand what went wrong and you know how do, how do we change that. But it, maybe if we can understand how music works and how art works in context, we can take those principles and use it as foresight for life, right? Yeah, totally. So I don't know. It's, I think it starts as a kid. It has to. I think it starts young. Like y your parents either expose you to good shit or they don't. And I feel like that's where it starts, man. You know, totally. And that's why, like, I don't know how. How was it for you growing up? Did like, did you were your folks into music? Did they like listening to music? My dad's a musician, um, and he's a bass player, and has been playing in bands since he was in you know middle school, and still plays, still gigs around town. A lot of his friends went out to L.A. and become wildly successful. So having I was exposed to a lot of industry stuff and understanding of that kind of stuff at a young age these are people that were like at my birthday parties growing up and so like music was just always around I'd go see my dad playing shows and but it was all like you know it was rock and roll music and it was pop music and yeah. it was you know like we grew up listening to I mean the Beatles are still my favorite band to this day uh, Led Zeppelin but then it was also a lot of like Bob Marley and then it was, you know, uh, the police and Sting mm. and, you know, a lot. So there was a lot of exposure to pop music in my in my household. But it wasn't until much later that I got introduced to like jazz and funk. It's not that my dad wasn't like aware of that stuff. It just wasn't really what he was listening yeah, to, you know. totally. So, um, but yeah, I and, and for me, when I was younger, it was all about the lyrics. You know, like lyrics to me spoke... I carried all this weight, man, listening to 10 Years Gone by Led Zeppelin or, you know, um, like anything from like Hendrix or like just, I was, I would like pick apart these songs. And then when I was in high school, I got into hip hop and it was a fucking rap, dude. <laughs> I, no pun intended. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but, but like I would be, it, it, it ruined me. I was on the computer at school in my computer class looking up hip hop lyrics to like Tupac songs and like, Eminem songs and just like trying to understand how they're putting these words together and like the meaning behind everything. Sure. You know, yeah. and it was a rap after that. Like I, I became obsessed. Yeah. I mean, it's a, I did, it's, it's, I love it. I love, I, especially old school hip hop. I mean, I am 46. So, yeah. You know, like I, I love old school hip hop for sure. And even a lot of the modern hip hop is is pretty cool. Like I love J Cole, and I love yeah. you know obviously Kendrick. And, sure. And and we were having a conversation last night about like how my my recent obsession with Harry Mack. Yes. Who's a completely off the dome freestyle rapper and the best to ever do it. So I looked him up last night briefly, and I realized that I have seen him before. He's on like he's gone viral on TikTok like a bunch. A bunch. Yeah. Doing like all like he's on the. Uh, like the boardwalks and like, you know, the city, like, you know, whatever, just like talking to people and be like, hey, just give me a topic. And then he just starts going. Starts going. He's dude. impressive. He's wild. Yeah. <laughs> He's wild. But yeah, like as an art form, that's amazing. I mean, <laughs> now here's what's crazy. As, as, as long as I've loved hip hop, right? As long as I've, I've loved it. You know that I, or, or specifically, let, let's not even call it hip hop. Let's call it rap. Yeah. Because in the '80s and the '90s, we were still calling it rap music. Yeah. And, uh, people weren't calling it hip hop. Right. At least not in that I remember. I never knew until like a few years ago, dude, that rap actually was an acronym for what? Rhythm and poetry. Oh. <laughs> so fucking music podcast i've never known that dude i was i was mind blown when i heard that i was like whoa that holy is shit, that dude. is wild bro yeah man so who were some of the people you were listening to coming up 
Well, I mean, so, so you know, I, I grew up in a pretty conservative household, right? Mm. So, like, it had to be, you know, um, it, it was like the, the family, the bubblegum family rappers, like Kid and Play okay. and MC Hammer. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but I was really into like Rob Bass and like, and then as I got a little older, I got into like Big Daddy Kane. I was mm. really into Big Daddy Kane. And then I got into like Far Side. I was kind of all over the place. Uh, and then like the New York, like the New York rappers, like when Tribe came about, like I really loved Tribe. I love that whole aesthetic because, you know, they sample a lot of like classic jazz records, oh, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, but I didn't go as far back as, well, you know, no, that's not true. Actually, <laughs> I did from a flea market because, you know, you used to be able to go to a flea market. I, I, I grew up in my early years. I grew up in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, fuck yeah. I and love we, Charlotte. I love Charlotte, man. But we would go to like, I remember, I remember vaguely like my parents um, and my mom would love going to this like flea market. And there was like a dude who used to sell like bootlegs, you know, like bootleg tapes, yeah. you know, cassette tapes. And, uh, and I remember by just out of curiosity, cause I liked the name. It was such a bizarre name, Africa Bombada. Oh yeah. And the soul sonic force. Yeah. I had like a bootleg of that. And no I remember shit. like as a kid being like, Whoa, this is cool shit, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's, it kind of runs the gamut. It's like, it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that I'm not even like MC light. I, I really loved MC yeah. light. Um, there's so many, dude. It's like, I, I, I love it. Yeah. You know, I love it. There's and something about it when you discover it, I think, you know, cause like my family was kind of the same. Like it wasn't like super like old school conservative or anything, but it was like, you know, rap, like, you know, my dad, by the time hip hop became like in the mainstream, my dad was already like, you know, in his mid thirties going on forties. And so for him, he was like, what it now? You yeah, know? Yeah. Um, I think I've kind of changed. I've got, I've, I've pushed on him so hard by this point where I think he's got a different respect for it now. But you know, when I discovered it, I was resistant at first, you know, like growing up in the nineties and early two thousands, there's especially like, I still to this day, am not a huge fan of like nineties R and B and stuff. Um, it's just, yeah, I love 90s army. I, I get it, man. I get it. There's so like much. Brian McKnight and all that I shit. I just saw him last oh, year man. at the Florida theater. Love that stuff. Man. Yeah. I, yeah, I get Jealousy. it. Jealousy. Yeah. It just, I, I was resistant to so much of it for so long because of that influence from my parents. Yeah. And then like, you know, I think the peer pressure got to me in like late middle school, high school and it, growing up in South Florida, you really can't ignore it. Hip hop is just in the culture there, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I got exposed to all this stuff. It was, it, it changed my, my life, man. I was like, damn, this is, this is like legit. This is you cool. Know? And to me, I think that, you know, lyrically it's hard to, it's hard to match. If, if you're into lyrics, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a world of hip hop that is like, you know, super conscious and, and like gets really deep and I don't, oh, and nothing really compares to it. It's hard to do what you can do in hip hop in rock and roll or in other genres where it's, you know, there's much more space or there's less space to play with just because of the instrumentation. Whereas hip hop, everything serves the lyrics really, you know? Yeah. So if you don't have that to me, and I know there's a lot of schools of thoughts on this, right? Hip hop is a, is a incredibly diverse and ever changing, uh, genre of music. 
But as far as I'm concerned and my understanding is if you don't have the lyrics, I don't know what we're doing here. Yeah. You know? So. Well, this is where this, for me, this is where like cue electronic music. Yeah. Cause I can actually like just listen to like a groovy sample. Uh, okay. Let me. Without let me, lyrics. Yes. Yeah, so let me rephrase. It just vibe to it. Let me rephrase <laughs> what I'm saying. Right. I mean that if you're, if you're rapping. Yeah. And you're not a lyricist. Right. If you're just talking shit or just like, or just like saying, like, like I'm, I'm not one for club bangers. All right. It's just, you're just saying things and I just, and I don't really care. Right. In that context, that's, that's what I mean. If we're not really focusing on the lyrics, what are we doing? That yeah. being said, I can get da down some Jay Dilla, like no problem. You yeah. know what I mean? I love that sure, lo-fi hip hop shit, yeah. you know? Yeah. So yeah, for sure. Whereas like the absence of lyrics. That's fine. Which just the construction of the groove. All right, guys, this episode's brought to you by Best Buds CBD Store. If you're like me, maybe THC isn't always the right high for you, or maybe the legal status of THC has you a bit hesitant to indulge. So at Best Buds CBD Store, they have an array of CBD and Delta 8 THC products. These guys truly care about their service, so everything is meticulously sourced and prepared to deliver a top-notch product and experience. If you head to their website, you'll find all kinds of educational information regarding Delta THC and CBD, uh, not to mention if you use promo code BOTBPOD, that's B-O-T-B-POD, you'll save 10% on your order. This is not a one-time deal. If you use promo code BOTBPOD, every time you place an order with Best Buds, it will give you 10% off. That's in perpetuity forever. So head over to Best Buds cbdstore.com and start saving on all of your cbd and delta a products enjoy guys yeah. you know it's funny because you were talking earlier about it like how you you grew up and you you really love lyrics mm -hmm. right and you grew up listening i always had like I, <laughs> maybe it's a broken part of my mind i don't know or just it's just naturally where my where like my mind goes and how i listen to music i was the exact opposite right i've never been like officially diagnosed with ADD <laughs> but I'm I I'm 100% sure that like I've got it oh, hardcore. Yeah. Uh and and one of the ways that I feel like that manifested growing up was that I never heard the lyrics. I li I like listened right past words and honed on the music behind the words. Mm. And I and I think maybe you know maybe that's a reason why I love jazz music so much is because it's the absence. Of, not not that I, I mean I love jazz singers. Yeah. And I love the Great American Songbook and all of those standards that have beautiful lyrics. Like I love that stuff. And as I've gotten older, I, I appreciate those lyrics. But I still am listening to like how's the bass player grooving or like what's the drummer doing or yeah. what are the chords there or like I've always just heard past that. It was always like the beat and the groove is what always like ignited my sort of senses and made me want to like listen more. It, 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 it's not until like if I find a song that I like the groove to, I have to, I, I will listen to it a lot because I love the groove that much. And as, and over time, the lyrics then start to seep burn, in. They start to seep in. You know, what's you funny know? is that that makes total sense coming from an improv background, right? Mm -hmm. Um, as I started getting into jam bands and subsequently jazz, um, the, the emphasis became less on the lyrics for me. And I started to kind of, um, depart from the world of hip hop a little bit just because it became more about what you're talking about, like the groove and, you know, the conversation of, 
of you know solos and ri- and rhythm sections and or just you know in the jam band world which is if it's done right it's ama- just that this slow building of a concept where no one's soloing we're just we're just kind of on the spot improvising this became the thing for me after a while so now and that's carried into everything so if i listen to pop music now or listen to anything my first go-to even as a guitar player i'm always listening to the bass line and the drummer yeah and i'm like what are they doing and then i start to kind of build around that and now the last thing that i listen to are the lyrics it's ah so it's kind of flipped yeah so i I totally get what you're saying yeah but it, it was because of my introduction to improv style music that, that lyrics became a very secondary thing for me. Yeah. So it makes total sense, you know? Yeah, I don't know what it is, man. I just, I couldn't compute, I couldn't compute the words, but I could feel the groove. Yeah. You know, and 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 even to this, I, man, I just love funky music, man. Yeah, As totally. much as I love jazz and the swing feel, nothing really gets me going more than just like a deep pocket. Yeah. Nasty groove. Well, then we can get into, you know, what's been lovingly coined as berkeley funk you know we have like schofield and mike stern love that and, stuff yeah. and these guys that have kind of like you know maybe not as heavy or like as fat of a pocket but they've definitely adopted a lot of the principles of funk and like these one chord vamps and like really just slowly built and then you know schofield now I mean, like the, the the funk and jazz world is so intertwined nowadays. It's hard, like it's yeah. almost like you need a background in jazz to play funk these days. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, it's just or maybe vice versa too. Yeah, like like you need a little bit of funk in your jazz, man, to make it more palatable for sure. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. But uh, yeah, you know, you might be right. I mean, it is it is sort of like a. a, a a natural sort of segue for like a young modern jazz musician. Like there's very, very few people who can have a sustainable career only in like the jazz idiom. But then we get into a deep thing where it's like, well, what does that mean? Oh. What, what is jazz, you know, and oh. all that stuff. And it's like, I mean, man, I would say jazz more so than any other music that I know is like has so many subgenres. Oh my god. Like more it has more subgenres than I feel like any other like musical style. This is you know my biggest problem with jazz. <laughs> jazz and yeah. why I I can't seem to understand or even know where to begin yeah. with learning this stuff, right? Because you talk to guys they're like, "Well, you know, really you should go back if you really want to get a, a firm understanding and 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 be able to, you know, maybe a more approachable learning to the music. Let's go back to the Dixieland stuff, like Louis Armstrong, you know. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, sure, but then you listen to it, and you're like, hmm, this isn't what I'm, what I want to learn, though. I don't like this, <laughs> right? Ah, right. And then right, it's right. like, okay, well, then you can go into like bebop and like hard bop and stuff, and then you're like, okay, but this is way too advanced. And then it's like, okay, well, then we can go to like more of the modal stuff, right? Miles sure. and all that, and you're like. Okay, but this is also a little weird and out there. This isn't, I don't really know. So, like, you kind of need all the previous shit to understand the next world. Dude, oh my God. You look so, so really, you are a student of jazz without even knowing it because that's exactly right. And I would say that, like, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't fashion myself a jazz pedagogue in any, in any capacity. I do teach some private lessons and I've sort of like, 
broken them into at least the way that my teachers taught me how to do it. But I think you're absolutely right. There's nothing, there's nothing more annoying to me. This is just it's purely subjective and it's just an opinion. There's nothing more annoying than listening to some like fiery young player who you don't hear the history in their playing. Yeah. For me, it's like I want to hear the history. And I and that and even that's hard to explain. Like, what does that mean? What do you mean by you want to hear the history? It's like, I don't know. I feel like you can tell when a cat starts in like way back when he goes way back yeah, in time. Totally. Right. There's a phrasing, uh, you know. There's that, a phrasing, there, man. There are like there are there's like quoting of certain And it's all very nuanced. Yeah. It's like little nuanced distinctions, man, like for a sax player, like just the ability to like scoop a note, you know, yeah. like, and if you're a saxophone player, I, I feel like you're doing yourself a tremendous disservice if you start with Joshua Redman and Chris Potter mm. without checking out, you know, Lester Young and Coleman Hawkins, Sidney Bechet, people that like, we're talking about like from the 30s to like maybe the late 40s. Mm. Like there was a style of phrasing that sort of got lost in translation over the years. Right. But when you go back and listen to it now, like there's like an elegance to the way that that they like phrase. It's like this, voo, 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 voo. it's like this beautiful thing. I, I, it's hard to describe that you just, you don't hear a lot of cats do. It's all this like angular weird shit, which I love that stuff too. The nerd in me finds that stuff compelling. Yeah. But like the lover, the romantic in me, loves the elegant like lilting beautiful thing you know what i mean like i don't know okay like don't don't young musicians don't don't just listen to modern guys i know that it's hip and like they're the most relatable to you know the the modern mind maybe but like think about where those guys got their stuff from and even those As guys much, i love you. josh redmond and chris potter you if you had them on here they'd probably tell you the same thing exactly. like go check out lester young and coleman don't say. listen to me right listen to these guys you right know? and then like and then beyond it's you know we have we have a there's a timeline like it like the, the cool thing about any of the genres of music that we like is there's actually a history yeah and if you go back and, and you 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 need to go back and see what it was like back then to really fully appreciate how it evolved to what it is now. Totally, like, man. Like, you need to know that. There's you know? there's an element, I think, of the of it becoming too heady, if that makes sense. Totally, yeah. Because, like, it's, jazz is not a collegiate art form, okay? Right. It's from the streets. Totally. It's a bastardization, totally. okay? And, um, but it's not that anymore, Right, it's become this super collegiate thing, you know. Like there's 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 an honoring of of certain, you know. I don't know. It's there's people go into the school system and they come out and they all kind of sound the same until they've spent time in the real world and developed their own sound, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, when jazz was first kind of form, you know, for, forming in like the early 20th century. There's like there's first not really a huge point of reference for things. It's just kind of like bastardizing pop standards of the time, yeah. and then and then before you know it, jazz kind of becomes the next pop thing. So then it's like now people are competing 
to stand out in this genre that's now becoming so popular. So like they're 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 trying to they're not only are they trying to develop their own sound like as an instrumentalist, but they're trying to put on their own show. Right? They want to be they want to be band leaders. They want to you know compose their own music, and they want to they want to stand out in you know these nightclubs that are like you know where where it's all happening and and it's super competitive. You know. Um, it can be, yeah. You know, we'll, especially the younger you are. Yeah, yeah. Because our com- our competitive spirit, I mean, it, I feel like it's it's really raging, and when we're younger. Yeah, well, we just, just and more specifically at that time, just because of of the stakes at that time, right? So I think because of the stakes and because of how kind of new it was, like people were really innovating in a way that that where where there was really something to lose or something to gain. Uh, right? That's fair. That's and fair. nowadays, because not only has it gone through this kind of structured thing now, but also the stakes are so much lower because it's not pop music anymore. Right. So people don't really see the, it's kind of what we were talking about last night in a town and towns that aren't super musical where you see people just kind of submitting to the, the, the thing that that's easy to do because that's just what the opportunity is. Right. So like you just, you stop innovating and you stop pushing the envelope because you don't see where the payoff is. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of totally. sweat equity to not see anything come after it or to get any recognition for it, right? Tell me about it, dude. <laughs> Tell me about it. I, I, don't, I, I don't actually put myself in the jazz musician box. I don't like to call myself one. People hear me play jazz when I go to a jam session because I know a handful of tunes and can sort of like na- navigate you know, those, uh, that style and those tunes. But I, it's been a long time since I considered myself a jazz saxophonist. And I just now, cause like, it's like we have talked about earlier, I love all these different things. Right. So it's like, I, I, I feel a lot more comfortable just being like, I'm a musician. Yeah. I'm not a jazz saxophone player. I'm a musician period. Because like any genre is just one tiny little piece of, of, the puzzle of the music puzzle totally and it's it's like music is this sort of like global infinite collaborative human energy that you can't you can't just put in one little thing and be like this is the best music or this is music it's like no i mean it's all music every culture has its own thing and you know but what what i do like about modern i don't want to say jazz but modern music is that i find a lot of it so compelling and of course you know, the industry's not going to force feed this stuff to us on the radio, the stuff I'm talking. I like to listen to stuff that's that you are not going to hear on the radio. Yeah. I like doing the deep searches for, like, new sounds that are not going to be popular with the masses. Totally. You know what I mean? I like that stuff. But what I really do appreciate about, like, where music has come, because you hear a lot of older cats be like, oh, music is dying, and it's ru- music is ruined, and all this shit. shit. And it's like, man, no, dude. You just got, first of all, you got to know how to look for you got to know how to look for what you like. Right. Right. And you also have to be open to, you just have to have an open mind, just period. Totally. You know? But what I love about modern music is that like, it's, it's, it's getting more difficult to categorize, to categorize music. And that to me, a lot of people are annoyed by that. I love it. Yeah. It's I like, love it. Cause now you're hearing little snippets of everything in one song, you know, right. like, there'll be a moment of like, quote jazziness or like or you'll hear like a very clear rock influence or you'll hear like you know like a, a latin rhythm you'll hear a clave in the background and you're like whoa what? oh there's a clave there but it's not 
but this isn't salsa. This isn't Latin music. You totally. know what I mean? Um, and I love that. I love that it's just becoming this like melting music is is a melting pot. You know, it's it's to me. I I, I I'm I'm of the same you know tra train of thought. I think that it's it's showing like how cultures are able or the reality of cultures really mixing well you know like this lack like there's not all this like pushback that we're being told happens right a lot of it it's like well we look at the music we can hear it, that the cultures are we're getting along for the most part you yes. know we're, we're open to each other we're willing to collaborate you know like and and that's why you know art again is so important it's if you want to look at the state of a culture, mm. look at their art, at their art first, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, I think the only people that push back on this not being able to label something or fit it into a box are like the fucking suits are trying to make money. Elliot, that's fine. They have a job to do, right? right. Um, if I was in their position, and I do understand that argument, like, okay, if you're trying to market your band, you have to like know how to define yourself. That's fine. But like realistically, as like I always struggle with that because there's a business side that I do find interesting that I do want to understand so I can navigate. But also there's like the artist side of me that's like, but that's really just bullshit, right? Because we're just trying to like we're just trying to create these boxes so we can package something totally. and sell it, right? right? And that's not how art's supposed to be. Yeah, it's not. It's not supposed to be a, a commodity, right? Right. Like, right. And and we we do. I mean, that's that's our. So what do you think that is? I mean, I I think that that's just um, it all goes back to greed, man. Yeah, it's all greed, dude. Look, you, but it really is like it, it all comes back to that. It's like industry. Yeah, right? it's like music is an industry. It's like if you're only gonna like try to follow the rules of financial success by navigating an industry, then then you have to play that game. And if you're gonna play that game. Then you have to pay attention to those things. Like, right. Okay, well, how am I going to categorize this? I, how am I going to convince people that this is something that they should dig? Right. And that, you know, I, I'm just, I'm not personally, I'm not well suited for that. I just, I really, I tr personally, I try to be a musician that lives in the moment of creation, creating music with other people. Yeah. You're like, that's my happy place. Totally. I don't care about if, it, if you can put what I do on the radio or not. I don't care about the fame of it. I don't care about any of that. Like I really just care about the moment of creating energy with the musicians I'm with. A hundred percent. That's the only thing that matters to me. A hundred percent, man. And there the only argument that I can make for the other perspective is that like for me, I find that a lot of my um the limitations that I have as an artist or um a creative person in general is uh finances right so if i'm in a scenario where i can where i have endless resources and money at my disposal then i can create in whatever capacity i want with whoever i want to do that with mm -hmm. right so for me i'm a, like i that's why i always like try and find this balance of like okay business and music cause it's like i love being an artist it's my favorite thing if i could just wake up every day and just be that yeah of course but because of the way that I want to do things, it's like it costs money to do those things. So I have to like figure out, okay, well, I need money people. So how do I talk to these people? Right. And how do I get them to understand me? Well, you got to speak their language. Right. right. So it's like, those are the things I always kind of am at a crossroads with internally. Totally. Yeah. I, I, uh, I've always had this weird, 
I mean, it totally explains why I'm fucking broke. <laughs> but I've always had this weird like relationship with money. I, I don't like it. Yeah. I don't like the way that it makes people act. Yeah. I don't like how the pursuit of it makes people act. It, it that's one of the 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 things that really creates this sort of like crush the competition sort of spirit. And I understand that like co competition is is a maybe it's a it's just a natural part of the human experience. If we see a person do a thing, not only do we want to do that thing, but we want to do it, quote, better yeah. than them. So I, I get it, but, um, but I, I've never considered myself to be an overly competitive person I, I, because I don't want to be that kind of person. Um, I, I, when I was a kid, I, I trained in martial arts. I, I, uh, I did Taekwondo for like 12, 13 years. And in, wow. and in that time, my, my parents, I mean, you can't tell now, obviously, <laughs> but like, uh, you know, uh, in that time, like my parents would, you know, we would go to like tournaments and I'll never forget. There was this one tournament that I went to where one of the kids, cause I was there cause I had a really lovely instructors. It was this, this couple that were lovely people and they really instilled like good values of like respect. Um, and like, I remember this one tournament where there was a kid who was just on the sidelines. Like we're all like supposed to be sitting on the side, you know, like just being cool, being chill, you know? And this kid was just like punching his gloves together. Like, poof, poof, poof. I can't wait to tear people a new asshole. Like he just had this like energy about him. Like he was just ready to crush the competition. I'll never forget that because I was just like, I was so turned off by that energy. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, we're just here to like have fun and like get a workout in with each other. And like, uh, and I just remember being like, I don't ever want to be that way. I don't want to think that way about anybody in any moment. And, and sadly, like you were saying earlier about like the, the jazz music as it was forming, it was, it, there always has been this element of like the, the, of, of a competitive nature. There's been like, you know, the, the, the cutting sessions is right. what they used to call them, where it was like, and again, you're just, you're trying to like outdo the person. You're trying to like, if that person just dazzled people with their technical virtuosity, well, well shit, now I've got to do the same thing, but I got to do it better. Right, and I get that, and I get, I get that competition breeds innovation, and I, I understand all of that. Like, but it that's just it's not for me. The hippie in me is just not into it, man. Yeah, totally. I'm like, I'm just like, I'm like, nah, man. Like, let's let's collaborate. Let's don't let's not compete. Let's collaborate and make something beautiful together. And I think you know? I think that that's also a viable approach too. You know, because I don't think. I think that com competition is can be healthy, but then it can also like reach a tipping point where now it's just destructive, right? Yeah. Like, now you're just an asshole. Yeah, exactly. Who wants to crush people? Exactly. Like. If that is your thought going, and Elliot, I've I've been guilty of this in my younger years of like thinking, oh, that guy sucks, or like I could do better than that. But but as I've gotten older, I'm like, like literally the last thing that enters my head is I could do better than that. Like I, what I want to do is either I'm looking at somebody, I'm like, either I want to try and be as good as them, or I understand that they're not where they need to be yet for whatever reason, doesn't matter. But like, there's no judgment entering anymore. Now it's just like, okay, well then just get up and do what you do. Mm -hmm. Get up and just do what you do. And cause that's the one thing that nobody has on you is they're not you. Yeah. Nobody is as good as me 
at being me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And with that approach, it's like, okay, then we can look at competition differently. We can look at competition as a way to bring the best out of each other. Right. Because again, you can't stop me from being me. You can't do it. Exactly. So how can we work collaboratively to make each other better? Well, a little bit of healthy competition doesn't hurt anybody. Right. Yeah. And then before we know it, we've collaborated and we've competed and now we're both better and there's a product because of it. Right. Yes. There's an outcome. Yes. Right? And, and the outcome is not destruction. The outcome is something we, we've created together. Totally. You know, and that to me is like where competition and collaboration work at, at its best. At its best. You know? Well, I was telling you about, but you had Bob Reynolds on here. Yes. And Bob Reynolds is, is my oldest and dearest friend. And, um, and when we were in high school together, because we both, like I said, we, we both went to DA uh, and we got there at the same time. We got there both in 10th grade. And, um, and of course, we were young hotheads, but we were also inseparable best friends. And the cool thing about that was that we were competing with each other, undoubtedly. Yeah. <laughs> especially in everybody else's mind. Sure. You know, um, but like, but that friendly, that spirit of friendly competition is what like as how we got i think he he would agree i think to this day and i and i i feel this way is that those years where we were inseparable best friends in high school in in the da jazz band those were the the best and mo like the quickest years of of musical growth. i would say the most musical growth happened for both of us in those years and we were largely there to do that for each other because it would be like, he'd play this cool, this cool shit. And I'd be like, oh, dude, what is that? I want to get that too. And I would do the same thing. And he'd be like, what is that? I want to get that too. So it was like this, we're trying to like, it was a little subtle, maybe not, maybe not so subtle. There was an element of like, oh, dude, I have to pipe this guy. Yeah. Right. Because that's what we used to call it. Like, oh, dude, you just got piped. Yeah. <laughs> and if you got piped, it's because somebody outdid your thing. It's, it's hard to quantify because you're right. Like you want to allow people to be themselves. And obviously like in the moment of creation, the moment of expression, it's you. Like you're, you're giving people now whether or not your expression is, it comes out and it's based on like work that you've done to be able to express in that moment. That's where it gets a little dicey because sure. it's like, you know, there is a system. I mean, every instrument, for example, like there's a system. First of all, the instrument itself is a system. The, you know, it's a system. It was designed systematically. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. There's a, it's, a, it's a machine. It's a, it's a thing. It's a tool. That yeah. you have to learn how to manipulate. Right. Right. And so, I mean, and there's a, and you know this, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of repetition mm -hmm. <laughs> that has to, slow repetition that has to be done before you're capable of expressing in an effective way, right? But the, I, Chris Potter, I don't know if you know who Chris Potter yeah, is. Yeah. is. I mean, w literally one of the world's greatest saxophone, saxophonists and just musicians, period. Um, but like somebody asked him, I don't, I don't remember the exact question, but he, he, he came to through UNF. He was there with uh, like the Dave Holland quintet uh, back when I was in school. And, um, or was it Septa? Well, anyway, he was doing a clinic and somebody asked him about like the development of technique because his is ar arguably other, 
otherfucking worldly. I mean, this guy is just crazy. His technique is crazy. And somebody asked him something to the effect of like, how did you develop that technique? And like, how do you, you know, this is a real generic question. Like, how do you do what you do? And I loved his answer. His answer was like, well, he's like, what you have to remember um, is that like your technique only has to be as good as the music you want to play. Like it only has to be good enough to do what you want to do, mm. right? And so that's where it's like, it's, it's like, and I loved that. It was so like, it, it was like parted the sky. Like, it, you know, I don't know. It was, it was, it was really revelatory for me because I was like, wow, that makes perfect sense. Because, you know, you, we can actually like beat ourselves up and talk ourselves out of our own growth by putting our heroes on a pedestal as this unattainable thing. A hundred percent. Right. And so like I look at Chris Potter now and it's like, well, I'm never going to be able to do what he does, but I'm, but I've become okay with that because I'm not trying to necessarily play music like the way he does. Exactly. I want to play music the way that I, the way that I do and be completely comfortable with that. This so. is something I'm glad that you said that because this is something that, I have been trying to internally um, come to myself. I'm still fighting it. I know that that's where I have to get to, but I'm still fighting this because, again, so much of me admires these jazz guys for, you know, not just their level of, of talent and skill, but the work that they've put into their craft, you know, that I just, you know, I just, I, if I'm being 100% honest, I just didn't do the same work that they did. Sure. And I didn't have the same background or exposure to that music, you know. So, um, so now I get to this point where it's like, okay, well, you don't have to do that, man. You don't like, I don't, I don't have that intrinsic love for that music to have to reach those things. I can like, just be okay with doing what, with, you know, what I truly love to do and express myself to my fullest capability with what I love to do. Right. So th this is the reason that I that it's that's in my head and that I've I've learned to to understand. But then there's that impulse still of being like kind of still holding on to a bit of my my youth where I'm like, no, but you have to be like people have to look at you and say that guy, that's the guy that that, that, that they want to be, right? And it's like I have to get that shit out of my head, yeah, because that's not fucking real, right? <laughs> right, know? exactly. It's like that's ego, yeah, it's ego. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and those are the things, and that's just if I'm being totally honest with myself and everybody in the room, this is like what I grapple with on a regular basis. You know, is I know that I that I know what what I have to be, but I there's there's a part of me. It's like, dude, you wanna you wanna affect people the same way this person affected you. So if you wanna do that, you have to be that good. And it's like, okay, well, but like you just have to be that good at being yourself. Totally. At the end of the day, is what it is what it boils down yeah, to. You yeah, yeah. And 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 there's something that's hard to it's hard to quantify it and it, it, it's. It's like this weird intangible thing. And, and this is one of the things where like I feel like it has served me personally as an improviser uh, is that oftentimes, and, and I feel like it's served a lot of people, like, um, but it's, it's the idea of intentionality, like, play, like playing with intention. Yeah. And it's like the intention behind what you're doing is often the most powerful part. Totally. It's way more powerful than, than the mechanics of what you're doing. Is the intention behind it, and I—that's one thing that I feel um, I, personally. I feel like, and and I don't always succeed in doing this, 
But even if I don't necessarily know what I'm playing moment to moment, I'm still like going in. I'm like, I'm literally trying to like just put myself into the moment so much that it's almost like you don't have to be a jazz fan, I think. I try to be compelling to people that don't like jazz. Yeah. And but but I feel like the only way that I can succeed in doing that is just by like I don't know, like just doing it, like putting your whole self into it and like almost like this internal thing of of like commanding the people in front of you. Yeah, well, that's to fucking listen to you. That's, that's <laughs> and the, maybe that's arrogant, maybe that's ego. I don't know. No man. But I really try to do that. I, I try to like command your attention, you know, and that that has nothing to do. I'm not thinking like, oh, I'm gonna command your attention with my dazzling technique or anything. It's like it's a it's a mindset. It's like a thing. It's like I'm trying to like you know, telepathically get you involved. Yeah. You know, well, that's, that's not ego, man. That's what being a performer is, right? Like, this mm. is what, this is what, like, this is what the greats are capable of doing. And if you can do that, then that's like, that's like, not only is it just about, is that just what being a performer is, but like the audience wants you to do that. Right. right, they paid money <laughs> for yeah for you, for you to rope them in some yeah. kind of way. Yeah, Bro, no, no audience member wants to sit there and feel like they're responsible for your situation on stage. Right, yeah. they're paying so that you can entertain them. Right, fucking entertain them. Right, right. Which is, by the way, entertainment. That, that's a huge sliding scale. Totally. <laughs> but, it, but in your but in your specific case, going yeah. up there and giving them all of you. Right. So that they can give you something in return yes. is what they're expecting, right? They're not expecting for you to be timidly sit there on stage and, you know, like, you know, try and like play licks and look back every once in a while. Are you guys enjoying this? Uh, oh, it, it's, it's uncomfortable for them. Right. They're like, dude, we're already like, we've already given you us. We paid money to get in here. Yeah. And we're sitting here and we're literally on your side. Right. <laughs> right? Like we're here for you. Yeah. Like, like what the fuck are you what doing? What is this cringy, yeah. timid shit going on? I know. Um, um, yeah, man, I, it, it's the power of intention. It's just like giving your whole soul. I think that probably what, what we all need to learn how to do, um, a little bit more, and this doesn't just apply to music. This applies to just human behavior and life in general is like, wear your heart on your sleeve a little more, yeah. be transparent, Exactly. put like, put your, put your heart out there. You know what I mean? Like. Cause that's what people, that's I think what people respond to the most. 100%. They're not, they're not responding. They're not like, I might play some weird augmented pattern, but that's not what they're responding to. Right. They're responding with like my intention behind when I play it. Exactly. Right. And like, and it's, it has to do with that's, you know, and that's hard to do, man. And I'm, we're, you know, I'm still learning how to do it, but I feel like that is my, <laughs> Oftentimes, and I don't know if you've ever feel if you ever feel this way. Oftentimes, I, I I feel like I struggle with like this imposter syndrome. Oh, right, right. That's such a. I think that creatives are particularly susceptible to imposter syndrome. I mean, like I could like you know? just give you the the play by play what was going through my head last night on the Blues Jay stage, bro. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing up here? What am I doing up here, dude? After you were up there fucking with Eric and Craig and I'm just like, dude, what am I doing up here? And, and fucking Sailor Jane crushing it. I, so I yeah, go ahead. I No, I get but it. that that's that's exactly right and like 
And that's, you know, that's destructive. That's such a destructive thing. You know, um, it's hard to wear your heart on your sleeves if you struggle with imposter syndrome because you're scared to put yourself out yeah, there. Yeah, totally. And I, you know, and I don't know if it, for me personally, I don't know if it's like the aging process that's sort of tempered, that's helped to temper that out of me or not. But I think that like there is something too. I've heard a lot of like my 40 and up friends and we all, it's like we all have a very similar conversation about being 40 and up. Where we're like, dude, you know what the coolest thing about getting older is? is that you literally run out of fucks <laughs> yeah. to give. Yeah. Like your fuck, your give a fuck tank just dwindle, like it like empties, you totally. know what I mean? And that, I think that's the goal as an artist is like to give no fucks. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's, that's that sort of goes in hand with that power of intention. Sure. Of like, look, you know, you might not understand it, but I'm going to make sure that you feel it some kind of way. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. I don't even know if I understand it. And that's the whole, the, like the imposter syndrome thing is where it's like, I'll play this stuff, but I get in this weird headspace if I look out into an audience and it's just a bunch of like jazz nerds, I get really in my head about yeah. it because we all grew up listening to the same shit. We're all listening, we're all, we idolize the same legends in history, right? So we're all like, hyper listening to each other like oh yeah what kind of cool thing are you going to play there and who are you going to channel in every moment and that's where it really creeps in yeah which is why i don't enjoy playing for like jazz audiences or just musicians in one general. of the things i love about like or just we're really just about <laughs> you know musicians in general but one of the things that i love about you know like a place like um like blue jay for example go go kara uh I, I love the 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 Blue Jay listening room because you know she's got like this. There's it's just like this revolving door of cl of clientele that are not they're not jazz fans usually. They're just people that want to go out and to a listening room and have like a, an experience, yeah. you know. Um, and I love playing for them. I love playing for like people that aren't jazz fans. Yeah. Like another another example of that would be like LPT. A lot of people ask us like. And they've, they've come up to all of us in the band and have said like, dude, you guys should like do Latino weddings and stuff like that. Like, cause there's like good money there, you know? And, um, or like, why don't you guys go, you know, go to South America and play. And I, I, I want to do that. I do. I hope that we do. I, and, and I think that that's kind of currently in the works is for LPT to do some, like some South American, possibly world travel. Oh, fuck. Yeah. You dude. know, we'll see. Um, but, but I, I I'm, and I'm totally into it. I want to go play for these people, right? I want to play for anybody. But I've found over the eight years that we've been together as a band, I've found that the most fun that we have and the most fun audiences are like not Latino people. Yeah, yeah. They're not, it, it, they're, it, it's like <laughs> the 30 and younger, like millennial, like, um, white people yeah i mean <laughs> they're really. just like looking for the <laughs> well, luckily we do we do get like quite a a, a sort of diverse and yeah, multicultural yeah. turnout um but yeah you're right i i would say that like for an lpt show oddly enough i feel like the minorities like are the minority yeah of the audience yeah sure right um, there's also just like, like an exposure to something right if you're in a community then you're like okay but like for people that aren't like for them there's like a novelty to it and there's like this is an experience that we don't get to have all the time so let's right. go and support this thing right yeah totally so i, I personally love that of course i yeah. love playing for 
audiences that have no idea what's about to happen, you know, but they're just there to like experience something new or different. Totally. You know, and speaking of not playing for uh, jazz audiences, tell me about what you got going on with this love Supreme tribute. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so, uh, John Coltrane, um, of course, you know who John Coltrane is. He's yeah. one of the most influential, um, jazz saxophonists in the history. You know, you're talking about jazz academia. You're not going to go to school for jazz and not be exposed to John Coltrane, course, yeah. you know, like as a, as an intellectual and technical exercise, you have to know giant steps, you know, like you need to, it, it, when you start branching out into the into the realm of like quote spiritual jazz, he's at the forefront of that movement as well. Um, you know, he was he was like one of Miles Davis's, which I mean, Miles Davis is arguably one of like the the great. He's like, if there were one household name of jazz music for like most people, it would be Miles Davis. Yeah. Whether you know his music or not, you know the fucking name, Miles Davis. Right. Right? John Coltrane was like one of Miles Davis's, you know, most featured and favorite saxophone players. Um, and I, I love him. So his, his birthday is, uh, is September the 23rd. And he would have been 97. He actually passed away at 40. Mm. Um, Damn, I didn't know and, that. Uh, but but he, he would have been 97 years old. So, um, so yeah, it's crazy because like a few years ago, a good buddy of mine from Gainesville. He's he's actually uh, he's he's an art professor and a musician as well. His name is Dan Step, and uh, and he's a great songwriter and uh, just a super cool dude. I I lived in Gainesville for a, a brief time for like three or four years. You know, like fifteen years ago or so, I was there, and um, that's where I met Dan. And he heard me at a session or something there in Gainesville. He heard me play and he comes up to me afterwards and he's like, he's like, dude, Juan, do you know what I'd love to hear you play? He's like, I'd love to hear you do like something like a love Supreme. Of course I knew a love Supreme. I knew the record, you know, that's like one of his, like, that's like a magnum opus or, or what is it? What do they call it? Uh, yeah. Magnum yeah. opus. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so like, of course, when he said that to me, I was like, dude, there's no possible way that I'm going to desecrate the or, or tread on this sort of hallowed ground of like spiritual jazz. I'm not equipped to do that. I'm, why would I try that? He's like, no, man, I think it'd be killing. So it took some convincing, but he he convinced me to like put a group together and he actually put something together um, at uh, Santa Fe Community College, uh, with their their band director at the time, he reached out and and he actually put together a concert of me doing a Love Supreme. You know, and this was this was uh, probably like ten or eleven years ago. The pandemic throws all of our sense of time. It <laughs> might have been it. longer, but I'm I'm guessing like ten or eleven years ago. Yeah, so like we did it. I did it, and uh, and it was a success. A lot of people came out. And, um, you know, but I always try to tell audiences before we do it, I'm like, okay, like I say the same thing I'm saying to you. I don't want to tread on spiritual ground. This is literally, this is our sort of humble rendition. He gave us this platform in this suite, this four-part suite, you know. He gave, he, he, he gave us, first of all, he gave us his most honest and beautiful spiritual expression of where he was at this time. And in, and in 1960, was it? 
three, I think, or was it two or three, where he recorded the album, he was actually sober. He had gotten clean right, heard that. from from a from a, a considerable like uh, opiate addiction, right? And um, and he was clean. And it's crazy because in in the '60s on the Impulse label, you know, um, all of his Impulse records, a lot of his Impulse records. For the general listener, are it's a little crazy. It's like crazy music. It's very, like sonically, it 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 can it can come across as like abrasive, yeah, uh, really intense. It's interesting to me that his most quote abrasive. I don't find it abrasive. I find it beautiful and haunting and gorgeous. But it's it's interesting to me that that part of uh, of his of his sort of like discography was when he he had kicked he was clean right his music got quote craziest and weirdest when he was his cleanest right right so yeah i just look at it like it's this it's this platform of of because i you know i obviously none of we don't know what it's like to be an african-american male in in the in the thick of civil rights you know what i mean totally that's not our experience um but we have, as human beings, we have our own version of 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 like you know, trauma response right. and like um, just our own experiences, whether they be good or bad, that that we're all sort of like channeling through art, right? Right. So that's kind of how I like justify doing it. I justify it by saying like, you know, I have my own experiences to draw. I have I have my own shit to cry about. You know what I mean? Uh, and so that's sort of how I justify, quote, treading on the hallowed gr- spiritual ground of, of that music. Have you, I'm curious, um, have you run across pushback on this because yeah. of the, the racial dynamic of, oh, of, no. of doing the album? Because I'm, I'm curious as to what that is, like, like, like why, like, you know, because I feel it sometimes too where, 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 where you want to pay an homage to somebody and why we feel like we need an excuse to do something, even though we haven't had their experience. Right. Why we need to feel that we need to do like that precursor or, or that kind of disclaimer. Well, it's like, you know. Because, because I feel like it's, it's, it's important for us to respect where a music comes from. Sure, yeah. And jazz music from that era, I mean, that was like a high, that was a high intellectual black art. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was, and 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 to to say it wasn't is just ignorant and irresponsible. No, of course. So yeah. I definitely like. I don't look at it. For me, it isn't some like wokester sort of like. Oh, let me let me preface this so that I don't get eviscerated. I see. Okay. I don't care about that shit. You can say what the fuck you want. I don't care. Okay. You know what I mean? Because I'm gonna do me, and you can do you. And if you don't like it, get the fuck out of my face. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. So that's not why I do it. Uh, but I, I just it, inside of me, I feel like it's. It, I know where it comes from, and I and I and I give it the proper reverence, okay. and I give it the proper respect gotcha. that it deserves. Okay, you know, it's it, 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 it's kind of like I don't know. You just just know where, and then it goes back to like knowing the history of something, know the history of it, know where it came from, and and at the very least, just respect respect that now with that said i don't get into the conversation of um you know like i don't like it when you know either side 
but because it is a because it is a, a music that's that's rooted in black american history i i i find it off-putting when people stand on a platform of like white people have no business doing this yeah of course i mean uh you know like Wynton Marsalis is one of my heroes. He's arguably like the greatest, one of the the greatest and most adept jazz trumpeters to ever to ever exist. And and he has become, as he's aged, he's he's like an ambassador for like jazz education. Um, he doesn't stand on the platform that he used to stand on as a young man, which really kind of was like a. You know, white people ain't got no business doing this shit. Yeah, I don't get into that. I find that pr completely distasteful because I feel like the moment that you give something to the world, if they like it, it's it becomes theirs. Yeah, totally. Like if that's how you felt about it, you should have made sure that that music never hit my ears. And and, and you it's, know what I mean? Yeah, and it and it's also kind of like like not acknowledging the fact that there were like early white jazz practitioners like especially like italian and people that were like you know in like the the 20s and 30s that were coming up in the in the same dealing with the, their own version of oppression right that they were coming up in the same totally. clubs and stuff so like I just, early america yeah like to talk to, like, to, like to say that jazz immigrants is, in early america were were all shit on it by, was, yeah it was you know? it was bad and yeah. And to, and I'm only, and, and you know, I've talked about it recently. I started listening to this audio book called Dangerous Rhythms, and it's about uh, the mob and jazz in early 1900s and how, you know, they're, they're just inextricably tied together. You can't talk about one without the other. Without the other, yeah. So uh, I've been hearing, I've been listening, I've been learning a lot about, you know, the, um, the Italian culture that was coming up, uh, shortly after like Dixieland stuff started becoming a thing and then you and then because of the ties with the Italians and and uh, the African American communities you had this next generation of people like in the 1920s of a lot of Italian and even Irish um you know musicians that were playing jazz and to their, their credit a lot of people were saying authentically you know so to, to 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 deny that there was like anybody else but black musicians playing and being ambassadors for the art form uh, early on is is just it's like a denial of reality as well. Right, you know? I, I agree. And there and there were some like there are iconic, iconic jazz legends from that era who were white. Yeah, and they got their flowers from the black community exactly. back then. So, you know, the musicians, I would say, by and large, you know, we don't have a problem with it. It's when other people start, like, sort of uh, imposing that on you. Like, sure. But, uh, but I, don't, I don't stand on that um, as a platform. I, I, feel like, I feel like, man, the fact that I'm doing a tribute concert on his birthday, I think should tell you all that you need to know about my respect for of it. Of course. You know what I mean? Um, and and so, but yeah, so we're gonna do it on September third at Blue Jay. Okay, you know, um, September third or twenty. Twenty. I'm so sorry. Tw September twenty third. Okay. Yeah, John Coltrane's birthday. Um, and yeah, it's gonna be cool. It's awesome. gonna be. Uh, and you know, the the suite itself, the it, it the the album itself is only like thirty three minutes. Yeah. So like to get through all four movements is only like thirty minutes. But I'm scheduled eight to ten. Oh boy. <laughs> so what we'll do is we'll play the suite. Uh, take a take a break and then we'll come back and I'll just do I'm probably it's, I'm probably gonna stick to to Coltrane's music you know um, but we're gonna do a second set basically of of a lot of 
other train tunes. Cool. And mostly from that same era, from the Impulse era, because that's my that's my personal favorite stage of John Coltrane is is I like to I like to think of it as the third and final stage. John Coltrane had to me to my ear at least there were three very distinctive periods of his voice uh, you know transforming uh, the the early the, and you and it's funny cuz you can actually go by the record labels that he was recording on through these three different periods right the the the, the early train recordings like what what we like to call like the the bebop or or or, or uh, hardbop train really bebop i'm going to say bebop train was in the like 50s like in the mid mid 50s he was a young man he was on the prestige label okay. prestige jazz label um and a lot of like the early miles davis records were also on prestige gotcha right and then now fast forward you know fast forward like three or four years after the prestige records were like the atlantic columbia era of train gotcha. where it was like still bebop but you could start hearing the evolution of like the language he was playing. It became a lot more flurry, flurry arpeggios and things. And that was the Giant Steps era. Okay. So there's like Bebop era train, there's Giant Steps era, Columbia Atlantic train, and then there's Impulse train. Mm. And they are pretty distinct from one another in terms of like how he sounded, like even his tone. Um, and of course, like I said, by the time that he got to the Impulse train, he was like very... It was it was it was like an aggre an aggressive sound because it, 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 it's all subjective depending on how you define it totally uh, but I can see why people would think it was like aggressive because it's not a smooth and warm texture often when he's when he's really going in it's, right he's like ah! you know what I mean it's oh, aggressive yeah. um, but I find beauty in that sure you know because I, I mean like like I said you know his experience. He was channeling. I, I can only imagine, right? I can only imagine the the how tumultuous it it, it could have been for you know a thirty five year old African American male in the thick of civil rights. Uh, me, yeah, you man. see what I'm saying? Yeah. So like he had a lot to lament. Yeah, you know what I mean. Totally. Um, and 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 he he more so than a lot of people. Like you heard that you heard that lament. You heard that that cry. You know what I mean? Totally. Uh, that expression of, of of pain, but you know, but it was also like an expression of beauty, you know. And it's it's interesting. Um, I, I always I, I'm be curious to ask you this. Um, can you think of like a piece of music that um, that when you heard it, it it brought you to literal tears? like a piece of music that broke you down, that made you your most emotionally vulnerable, and you just couldn't help but cry. Man. Yeah, so it's not quite as deep as maybe, I mean, it's, there's a, a, a song that I heard after um, like a family friend had passed and it was played a lot over the holidays and stuff when he was around. And then there, there was a holiday where he wasn't there and the song came on and it just hit me a certain kind of way. So, I mean, it's not necessarily like the, like the song itself. I guess maybe it was the memory of, you know, but it was, a, it was a Tom Petty song called All the Wrong Reasons. Okay. And it just like, there's a beautiful kind of, um, you know, chant that happens in the song. 
and it's like very uh it's haunting i don't know when you hear it, even not attached to that and i just remember just breaking down when i heard that and it was like god damn it man this guy you know yeah so what's yeah. he doing to me man what's happening to me yeah. why is he breaking me open like this totally yeah and there have been you know there's definitely been music that has hit me in that regard especially a lot, a lot of the stuff like you know my high school years with like zeppelin 10 years gone is a song that just man every single time get you yeah get you every time yeah yeah for me i mean it was one of it was one of coltrane's tunes um alabama but it helped that i I, I knew going into my first listen of Alabama, I actually knew what it was about. Mm. And it was for um, that the church bombing yep. that killed four young black girls yep. in, 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 in Alabama. And he wrote this like haunting you know, thing. And I just remember armed, armed with the knowledge that, that, that armed with the context, you know, that that's where the tune came from. When I first heard it, Man, I'd like that was the first really powerful moment of listening to, specifically listening to jazz music, where like it broke me, like broke me in half, and I just became just a bawling mess. Yeah, you know what I mean. But I think, um, I think that man, ha we need to have an emotional connection with music. If I, I don't feel like a person is well suited to be a musician if they if they can't have an emotional connection to it like that 100 it should make you laugh it should it should fill you with joy of course it should make you want to party and dance but i feel like it should also like break your heart and make you cry and make you vulnerable and i think maybe that's a big part of why like musicians why like musicians are, are are like sensitive types oh yeah we need that totally we need to be that in order to like do what we do yeah man well, i know? think i think that you know there's a part of it that's like, you know, we are, we, like for me, like writing and especially in writing is where I get a lot of that stuff or even performing, you know, like there's times where you're so like over, like filled up with something, whether it's excitement, usually for me, it's like pain or something. And then I'll write or I'll, or, you know, if I'm like, like improvising a solo or something for me, like that all comes out and those are my best nights unfortunately or those are like my best writing sessions is when i'm like in those very vulnerable states even within recent months for me where i i can like recall some of those nights where i'm just like you just not in a good space a headspace mm -hmm. and those are the nights where i'm just like i'm letting it all go i'm not thinking about what i'm playing i'm just responding to how i'm feeling and those are the nights where just you could where you, where you visibly notice people even in a sports bar turn their head and they're like, "What's happening on stage right now?" You know. Yeah. And those are the, the those are the moments. It's not even about their response. It's just about how what like that release that I'm feeling, where I'm like, "This is this is what I'm feeling yeah. right now," and this is me owning that feeling fully. You know, and that's the only way that I know how to own feelings i think yeah is through music I think that's that power of intention of, of intention yeah is like like and, and maybe in that moment you you were inadvertently it was which is kind of seems counterintuitive but like inadvertently you were you had an intention what your intention in that moment was to like be as to express yourself as vulnerably as as, as you could yeah and that's what people responded to exactly you know you know that's that's such a um like a visceral 
thing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, and there's not really anything else for, you know, in all the, in all the, the, the shitty gigs that sometimes we do and you know, how beaten down this grind can make you. Mm. Um, it's those occasions where it's just that right time, right place thing. And it doesn't happen often, but when it does it, that that's your reminder of like, this is why you do this. Totally. Never don't forget that. And that that's the fuel that gets you through all the bullshit until you have that next time where you feel that way again. You yeah. Know? So it is, man. Yeah. It is. Um, Juan, this has been awesome, man. Yeah, dude. I, I'm so I thank you. This this is my first podcast. I've never done this format. Yeah, I love it. This has been great, man. You're a phenomenal guest. I appreciate Thanks, you being dude. here. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me. Um, uh, let's do some unpopular opinions. <laughs> I mean, shit. We, I feel like we we covered a big one, man. I, you know, we covered a big one already. Yeah. And I want to stress, like, and you see this a lot on social media, and 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 you know the you know like there's there's that musician, right? There's that musician who goes to a jam session, who like they're relatively inexperienced, mm-hmm. right? They're inexperienced. So there's this, I, I, I always struggle with, uh, there's this, this conflict in me where I'm, I'm trying to like stifle how fucking annoyed I get by people who are trying to share themselves with the world who prop themselves up, right? About like, oh, I feel so blessed. I'm a professional. Oh yeah. Like I do this thing. And then you hear them play and you're like, bro, and this is where the arrogance and the ego, I, I, unfortunately, is going to creep into my own psyche, right? Where I'm like, bro, like, I live this. I've lived this since I was a teenager, and I'm 40 fucking six, right? I live this, you know what I mean? So it's really annoying when somebody who hasn't been playing an instrument but for, like, two years starts, like, putting themselves out there on social media and shit about how, like... You know, like hashtag blessed to be playing music professionally or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, bro, you're not playing music professionally. And I don't want to judge them for mediocrity. I, I try to be very careful about throwing mediocrity at somebody, like like uh, applying that sort of label to, to another person because it's not nice. Right. It's not nice to do that. But um, but an unpopular opinion, I guess, would be like, yeah, dude, do you and express yourself for sure. But it's kind of like taking something out of the oven too early. Yeah, you really want to eat something uncooked. Yeah, oftentimes it's not healthy to do so. That's so true, man. You know, like, dude, fucking like practice your ass off, develop your craft, really learn how to manipulate whatever tool it is you're trying to do before you before you give yourself the green light to push this like undeveloped mediocrity out to the world yeah. and like try to convince people that it's good. Yeah, totally. Like that annoys the absolute shit out of me and I see it happening all the time. And yeah. I don't want to discourage anybody. I don't want to be like, well, you can't do this. Like fucking stop. I'm not trying to say that. But like I practiced a lot before I ever went to my first jam session. Yeah. You know so, what I mean? Yeah, man. Well, here's it does a, a few things, right? Um, one of the things that it does is that first off, it kind of devalues what it is that we do, right? Because we've all spent years exactly doing this. Like you're shitting on the fact that I lived this. Yeah, and 
uh, two, um, like you said, it, you haven't developed enough to, to find your own sound yet or like really, uh, so you're putting yourself out there in a way that might tarnish you down the line, right? Like if you, if you, if you come out the gate, you know, saying, well, I'm a professional musician, I do X, Y, and Z and come, come watch me do this, that, then it's like, you're presenting something that's not ready to be presented yet. And then you only get one time to make that first impression. People remember those things. So it also does a disservice for you as well. Really more on just the devaluing part of it that really gets me also. It's like the, the, the rest is, that's knowledge for you to take away. But the first part is like, now you're affecting my money at the end of the day, yeah. right? And my status, because it's like or whatever status that might be. But musicians have historically... Had held some kind of court, right? It's like, 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 in the sense that, like, like, there's a certain thing that comes with that title. It's like we've worked so that we can entertain people at either the highest or the lowest levels of society. Be either way, we're kind of like this. That these people that have historically, for lack of a better term, been kind of like untouchable in the sense yeah like not not in a in an ego way just in the sense that like hey these are people that we respect because they offer something that nobody else here can do right and it's an emotional that they've uh, earned by the they've way they've earned and that's Through the fire and that's the important <laughs> you know? th thing is that you've earned it it's not something like when people come up to me and they're just like man i i, just, I wish i was talented like you it's like talented like me dude I've been practicing and eating shit for years. Right. There's, there's no talent. I mean, yeah. Oh, I love that. It, You're so right. It's like there's talent and discipline. It, yeah, there's you know, talent like, and discipline. That's what it is. Like you have to yeah. want it enough, right? It's like you you the want drive it. is the talent. Exactly. But it's not the skill. Yeah. The talent's not the so, skill. Dude, I'm I'm yeah. fucking I'm hammering a nail in the wall right now. Okay. Right. Like I'm I'm terrible with with electric tools, okay? But not because I I, I just not because I'm a fucking idiot, right? right? It's just because I just didn't put the work into it. Totally. Right? Like you could learn how to play an instrument if you just sat down and did the work. Yeah. Right. So don't I appreciate the compliment. Right. But also don't take away what I've put into this. I put in a lot of work at this shit. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. And like a pull off of like another spin off of your point is like I think the playing is the last part of a professional musician. Like it's I can tell if someone's professional I mean, the, the, the playing is a given. If they're just going to hang their hat on their playing, it's their attitude. It's how they converse. It's all the other elements. Yeah, it's the hang. There's like all these. All of that. And like you don't, usually you don't have to tell me if you're a musician professionally for me to pick up on that. And if you're putting your hat out on social media, in person, whatever, on like, check out my licks, I'm doing the thing. That's like the last thing that I'm noticing or worrying about. Like it's, totally. a, it's, a, it's just a given. Like yeah. you have to have that, you know, to, right. make, to cut it. Right. You know? Yeah. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also like the, the those are the same people that will come up to you on your gig that you've never met and be like, hey, man, can I sit in? You're just like, no. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know who you if are. You that is an unpopular opinion, yeah. too. And, like, and we get eviscerated, right? We get eviscerated like we're the assholes. Like we're the arrogant assholes because we didn't let Joe Schmo sit in with us. Yeah. It's like, dude, but, like. It, people lack situational awareness, yeah. right? God, yeah, we talk um, about that every week. <laughs> yeah, well, dude, we, we talk about it like when we go to Swanee, right? I, I'm fortunate enough that my dear friend Billy Gilmore allowed me the first time, allowed me to sit in in a bluegrass in a, in a bluegrass circle. I'm holding a saxophone. I'd never checked out bluegrass before, really. Um, 
but but he allowed me to do it, right? And 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 because I lived this, I was able to like listen and through the through through thirty at that time, thirty years of experience. I brought that to a, to a new genre that I'd never played. So he took a chance on me and he let me do it. The flip side of that is that when you're at a place like Swanee, you get a lot of like what we like to call like the wandering wooks. Yeah. The wandering like festival wooks, right? Mm-hmm. Who like own an instrument, whether they, they probably own a fucking cajon or, or <laughs> it's unfortunately in some places, like in some cases, a fucking saxophone. Yeah. And they just like wander the spirit with this undeveloped middle school tone. Yeah. And they go into <laughs> these jams, right? They go into these jams and they don't have the situational awareness. I don't care that you have middle school tone or whatever because we're all growing. It's all a, a relative thing. Like I'm growing too. We're all growing and I don't want to discourage you from growing. But you need to have enough situational awareness to go like, okay, clearly the people that are playing in the circle right now, if you if you just listen for a moment, you can totally tell that these people love what they do and they've been doing it for some time. Yeah. It's not an invitation for you to fucking jump in there <laughs> and like middle school tone the shit with like overly long solos and just playing a bunch of bullshit that makes the people that are listening all of a sudden they walk away. Yeah. Because now you just bombed a thing that you know what I mean? Well, it's and like, so it's like a weird thing. I don't want to be an asshole about it. But it's 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 yeah, I feel but that don't be a fucking festival wolf, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't like, bomb a session just because you like wanna you you're like imagining yourself to be like this thing that you haven't earned the right to be yet. There's, you know? there's, especially in the, I'll get, get some flack for this one in the jam band world. Okay. There's a lot of, because there is this element of improv and, you know, freedom in the music and blah, blah, blah. A lot of the fans think that it's, just fun, loving, and freedom, and it's yeah, just just jam. It's just jam, man. It's just jam. It's like, dude, <laughs> yeah, this dude. is this just jam, man. It's, it's, it's just like it's just not. Let's just jam, though, right? It's right. not that. It's like there's, you know, there's <laughs> there's work that goes into this. We've all put in the time and the work, and like you haven't yet. And it's not fun for the rest of us when you come up and you contribute your unsolicited, terrible abilities. Right. Just, oh. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, because it's like, we're talking. It's a conversation. You yeah. wouldn't walk up to someone and go, let's talk. And you're like, about what? Yeah. yeah and then you small talk. And it's like, but if we're going to sit down and talk, we're just doing it. You don't have to pitch the idea. Right. It's hilarious. Yeah. And it's like, it's like you said, situationally, dude. they're just like, you wouldn't do that to somebody. But like, you put an instrument in their hands, all of a sudden, all yeah. bets are off. Yeah. It, it just goes to show you how people truly don't respect what we do a lot. Right. It's like people say, Oh, I just, I love that you're so talented. And, you know, I really, you guys go through a lot. We really respect it, blah, blah. And then those same people are the ones that come and do that. It's like just because you gave me, just you paid what I do uh, homage or whatever, yeah. does not mean that you're now entitled to come sit at the table. Right. right. Like, uh, but I also don't want to be like this no, but, exclusive no, elite that, thing. Like, he, I don't want to be. It doesn't that. have to. So they make it that way, though. Well, when people they, don't, they force us yeah, to yeah. seem that way. It's like yeah. it's like we don't want to be assholes, but then don't be an asshole, right? 
Boom. It's like that. That's that's how it is, bro. It's like it doesn't have to be an exclusive thing if you just understand what's happening here. Yeah. Right. But I'd be much more open to you if 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 you instead of jumping into the jam and obliterating it with this undeveloped shit, I'd be a lot more open and susceptible to you coming up afterwards and being like, man, I really like. I, I want to learn how to do that. Yeah. Exactly. Right. You can can like we get together and like sometime and like show me some stuff. Totally, dude. Absolutely, any day of the bro. week. It's man. just respect. Is you know? all it is, you know. Yeah, I was in New York back in February, and I was jumping around, just checking out different jam sessions. I found so much great jazz, right? And there's this one place called Mary Ann's. Okay, hosted. I think by, I've heard of Mary Ann's, bro. Mm, I I saw a lot of jazz that week. This was top notch. This guy Matt Levon, I think, is who hosted. He's a sax player. Okay. Um, first off, the way that he ran that jam. Oh, like a chef's kiss, bro. He was so on top of it. It was That's just awesome. like, and like, it was such a small, intimate venue. All the players were amazing. There was not like a second of unnecessary dead space. It all flowed so beautifully. The band was great. And being a musician, I went up to him afterwards. And I was like, hey, man, or on their set breaks, I said, hey, man, uh, you guys are all great. Love the way you run the jam. You know, just uh, just as a musician, I really, he's, oh, you play? And I was like, yeah. He was like, what do you play? I said, guitar, you know. He's like, do you want to come up and play? I was, he was like, you know standards? Do you want to come and play? And I was like, oh, man, I don't, uh, th this is outside of my realm. I'm just saying as a musician, I respect the way that you're doing this. And but thank you for the opportunity. And I just left it at that and walked away because I know respect. it's respect, bro. It's like, uh, this, this is not what I do. Yeah. So I'm not going to come and insert myself in this situation knowing that I'm going to make this uncomfortable for everybody. Right. Including myself, right? Yeah. So it just it's just understanding and just being like, hey, man, I'm saying my my respect to you and keep it up. And I, next time I'm in New York, I will for sure come back and watch. But I this is not my, my arena to participate in. Yeah. yeah. Now, I will say that as you develop as a musician and, and, and as you – and especially as you develop, it's just as a person, that the more that you develop as a person and as a musician, you know, because you're, you, you're what, 30, 34, right? Yeah. Well, think about six years from now when you're 40, you know, you might go to that same session, right, as a 40-year-old who's got a lot more experience, not necessarily playing jazz music, just playing music yeah. and learning how to, like, communicate with other musicians in the moment. You don't necessarily need to know... The tune. I mean, you should know the tune. Yeah, some of those that. tunes. Know the melody. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> but you don't. But but but. The, and this is where like this is where you can sort of abolish the idea of, of like 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 kick the imposter syndrome out. Yeah, kick that I dude know. out. Right. Kick kick that out. Uh, because, and you'll know when the, when the time is right. If if you kind of know the tune, but with more experience as a musician, you're going to be able to negotiate anything. Right. Like. You, like you will, like we all, we will. I'll, I'll jump into something that that's out of my wheelhouse, right? But I'll do that because I am not going to just sit there and just doodle and play over it. I'm going to like look for the moments, right, where like I can fit in, right. I you see know? what you're saying. Yeah, like it's like that we're constantly learning about what our role is in any given moment. Yeah, you know? and a saxophone being a monophonic instrument, I can only play one note at a time. Yeah, dude. that's just the it's just the limitation of what I do. So I have to be really careful about my placement of what I do in any context. I'll play any genre, even if I'm not as familiar with it. I mean, hello, bluegrass. Yeah, you know. Now, granted, it does share DNA with jazz. Sure, sure. 
but I didn't know the repertoire the first time that I sat in with those guys. I'd never heard none of those tunes. Right. You know, but I've been a musician long enough to know that like, okay, this is a very accessible song structure. It's simple enough. It's one, four, five kind of, you know, thing. Just listen. Yeah. Don't don't overstep, you know? And like, and I feel like you could uh, encounter that same jam six years from now as a 40-year-old. And maybe if he was like, do you want to, oh, you play guitar, do you want to sit in? And maybe you would be like, well, yeah, sure. And you might not know the tune at that well, but yeah. you've heard the tune and you're an experienced enough musician to like, you can still make music. Yeah, totally. Just respect it. And you don't have to sound like Joe Pass. You don't have to... West Montgomery out on the shit. You can just like play soulful melodies. Like it doesn't need to be, and that's what goes back to like, it doesn't have to be this crazy, yeah, mind blowing harmonic exploration. Know. You know, like that's always it can a just shit be like a fucking in. honest and soulful creation. That's that's all that matters. That's always the shit that I get myself in. I'm like, especially at jams where I'm like around other jazz players. I'm like, okay, I know we're just doing like a one four funk kind of thing, but I'm gonna throw this diminished run in here. And I'm gonna fucking do this. I'm gonna do this chromatic thing here. I'm just gonna. Uh, you're like, how can I fit all of the hip <laughs> shit into this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's funny because like in the context of my own band, if you watch, like, and I'm this is just uh, this is not bragging. This is just self awareness. Is that I can play much more like with much more intention and 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 awareness of the space because I'm not so in my head. This is like mm. second gear to this is second nature to me. Yeah. Where at a jam, even if I know the music or the tunes, I'm around musicians I don't get to see all the time or or maybe they haven't heard me play yet and I'm like I got to show them what I what I can do. Mm. And then in turn, I end up doing myself a disservice because dude, you don't do this all the time. So like don't be fucking around with shit that you're not like certain on mm. at a jam where you're trying to like you know, like hang with people, like right. especially it's like you, we're not like twenty two, bro. What do you, what do you, who do you, like? What are you trying to prove to, and to who? Yeah, right. It, like, exactly. Do what you do, and it right. comes across right. Totally. So um, that's a good unpopular opinion. I wonder what got us off on a tangent. Yeah, dude. No, no. <laughs> it's a good one, man. Yeah. Don't be a fucking festival wook. Yeah. <laughs> Don't just stop with the wookery. Yeah. We, we're tired of it, man. Don't stop shitting on jams. Yeah, I love but that. Like, I want you to grow. I want you to grow as a musician. I, I'm glad that you love music. We share that. We have that in common. I'm glad you love music. Now, please go the fuck home and learn how to do the shit. Yeah. And then come back. Yeah, yeah. totally. Right? Totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, Chris, what you got for unpopular opinions? Let's see. Um, had this conversation a couple times in the past couple weeks. Studio musician work is harder than touring musician work. I think it depends on what you're comfortable with. Sure. I so people always like the conversation always le like landed that touring work was harder. Most and their argument was always physically. Like it's harder on your body. It's it's a physically harder job. It's more like an athlete's job. Yeah, you know, like I would I would the, say that's true. But the stakes I think musically are lower because it's it's more for enjoyment. You're more taking things to the people. There's not so much pressure night to night. You're just creating something in the moment and then you're moving on versus like studio work. You're kind of like sculpting almost like you're, you're, you know, you're creating this piece of art that you want to display that you want to be proud of and you're preserving it totally. And you know, putting it in a glass case, so to right. speak and doing that 
five or six times a week versus live shows five or six times a week. Sure. You get to go home and sleep in a bed, but you have to show up prepared for a new session the next day. And you have to, you're always composing versus like playing the same show on the road. Mm-hmm. Mentally, that's not nearly as taxing. Getting in a van is taxing, you know, sleeping in a ball is taxing, but like, I think mentally speaking, you know, the studio stuff is harder. Um, you know, you can take care of your body on the road. You can tour well. You can get up. You can fly. You can get on a bus. You can do whatever. Uh, and you can do things to take care of your body and make it easier. But I don't know, man. The idea of doing studio work for the next 10 years versus touring the next 10 years, the studio sounds harder to me. Mm-hmm. I think it's more demanding. Uh, it, uh, you could look at it like studio work is is more – is very much more mentally taxing sure uh, by far yeah right and touring yeah is more physically taxing and those are just objective i think that's like objective truth i mean dude you know? if you've been on yeah i mean if you've been on tour for any longer than like two weeks like it's it's a real problem you know sure. what i mean but like but a session just, player will say if you haven't done two weeks of sessions seven days a week they'll tell you the same thing i bet okay i mean yeah i've done both and for your music, yeah, but what's the difference? You're still trying to put on. A, you're still trying to do a there's performance. Some, there's sure, but there's something about create creating your own thing and like creating your own piece of art versus being a session player on someone else's art, where mm. you are your own thing is not what's important. Yeah, I and you have to be someone else's thing. Yeah, I think that they're like both. Of, like this is a statement that is interesting because. There's a there's a lot of context that's required 100%. here because these are not blanketed things, right? No, so that's like, the point, right? <laughs> yeah, but to say that that, to, to, but, to, but then to make a blanketed statement and say that that studio work is more taxing overall than touring yeah. is to me just incorrect. As somebody who's done tons of studio that's work, why it's an unpopular opinion. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah, acting like it's not my first fucking rodeo over here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just yeah, man, I don't know that that to me. I've I've tour I've been out for three months without coming home, uh, and I've also mm-hmm. done long stints in the studio, and I prefer studio work. Mm-hmm. I think it's more rewarding at the end of the day. I think it is harder work as far as pulling off the best performance that you can. That being said, I've never toured at a level like a pop level where the stakes are high where they're they're like million dollar productions and you better not fuck this up because like this is job security your performance is job security right yeah you know so i don't know what that is either so i don't know i could say from my experience yeah that you're not totally i don't think you're totally missing the mark on it yeah um but yeah i don't know i think that that like overall touring is harder than studio work. There's more touring people than session people. I don't know. Well, well I like to know. look at it like this, right? I like to look at it like g- there's something about being in front of an audience and doing something live in the mm-hmm. moment, right? Where do we can get away with so much? There's so much, so many more mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of forgiveness because honestly, the moment that the concert is done, people will not fucking remember it. Yeah. Only only the most 
naturally genius steel trap memory people mm-hmm. are gonna like remember a performance. The moment that it's done, it is done. And it's not just done for you as a performer, it's done for them as a listener. It's yeah. gone, it evaporated, it's, right. it's no longer. Right. The vibrations were created, they moved through, and they moved out. Passed on, yeah. And they passed on. So like, th- there is a lot more leeway, I think, mm-hmm. in that sense, sure. in terms of like, our ability to, ec- to execute precision mm-hmm. you know um there is something to that i i I, t- I think i would agree with you a little bit more it may not be it's it's certainly there's no argument it's not anywhere near as physically taxing totally we're not having to like schlep gear up fucking two flights of stairs mm-hmm. and like you know what i mean like yeah there's none of that we're not we're not in a in a shitty van for 10 hours totally. you know what i mean like eating music- mcdonald's for a studio uh, being a studio musician if that's all you're doing can operate and often does very much as a regular corporate job you clock in you clock out right mm-hmm. um when you're on the road it's work 24 7 24 period yeah and i don't know that even after you know a period of time where it is less taxing mentally um on the road i think that it does require a certain kind of person to be out there for for a lo- for a long time, mm. it is like there's certain comforts that you start to miss after a while. I don't care what level you're doing it at, whether you're touring in a van or whether you're you know getting flown in. When you're traveling constantly, it's just an inconsistent lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And if you're used to you know a certain standard, then not having that consistency can be wildly disruptive to your mental health. You know, totally. Yeah. So totally. Um, I yeah. don't. I, I just I don't um, fully disagree. I think that but your but what you're saying is very context based, mm-hmm. and I think that as a general rule, um, I don't know. It's really hard to say, man. Touring is hard. Touring is hard. Yeah, you know, it's not like either of them are easy. Yeah. If it was but easy, so everyone would do it. Precision, because you know yeah. the thing is like the, rec- the 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 record button doesn't lie. That, yeah. That's the thing. yeah, like tape doesn't lie, dude. Yeah. Like, yeah. and that's the the and, tough part. And it's yeah. such a cutthroat thing that if you uh, so, um, a buddy of mine was working at a studio in New Orleans, and they were doing this. I think it was the Nigel Hall like Anth, Anth Power. Yeah, no, it was so it was um oh god, it was all these New Orleans musicians and they were doing this like New Orleans musical and I forget it just came out recently. Krasno was on it and all these cats and I forget who was doing it. But um my buddy was working the session and they had this bass player in there tracking some stuff and they were asking him to go for a certain tone, they were doing this, they were doing that. Um and he wasn't like cutting what they wanted. He was gone by lunch. They like asked him to pack up and leave and they had a new guy in yeah, there yeah. by then. Mm. There is zero forgiveness like you need to do what they want in like two or three hours yeah for sure so you're talking about that high level of like studio top level like that is their day job like i'm thinking like brent mason or something and they know exactly the sound and the thing that that they want and and you can't give them that mm -hmm. totally like this and you know the story that my buddy tells is like the next guy came in he had four bases he had a whole case full of like foam blocks of different densities and they're porous and this and that he could put them under the bridge he knew he, he was a tone guru Okay. But like, you know, if you have a bad night on tour, they're probably not kicking you off the tour. Uh, Even if you have a bad night, mm, it's, I just, I, did I, you have a bad night on tour before? Bro, I was touring at, 
I'm just asking. Uh, yeah, but dude, okay, but, uh, but not okay. every session is run like what you're talking about either. Though. That's totally what I'm saying. It's all context-based. Of course, you know what but I mean? it's a fun thing to do. You yeah. Know what I mean? um, <laughs> yeah. You know, like you can make the argument for either one. Like, yeah. if, depending on what side of the camp you're on, yeah. you, you will win whatever, wherever your head's at. But, you know, if like, Again, I th- I just think there's a there's maybe a touch more forgiveness in live than there is the studio at the yeah, yeah. top level. As far as performance, let's say just goes, the top, yeah. like not the stuff. You know, I haven't toured or session recorded at the top level. Yeah, but if I was to look at either, I would think there's a touch more forgiveness on the touring side. Yeah, as far versus as what I've seen in the studios at the highest for levels. For sure, yeah. As far as performance goes, I would yeah. I would give you unless that. you're in like JT's band, like if you're doing the fucking JT. Like when he was touring with like the 2020 band, sure. Like, dude, I mean, like his live shows are al- are almost indistinguishable as far as quality, sure, from what you would get from the records, yeah. yeah because they so meticulously craft the show to be that sonic, that same sonic, sure. kind of experience. And I guarantee, if you're on that tour or Taylor Swift's tour, and you fuck something up, you're yeah, going home. You're going home. <laughs> yeah, they they can't afford for it to not sound. Yeah the way that their fans are expecting it. Yeah. To these are multi-million sure. dollar productions but even look every at, night. Even look at like Taylor's tour, you know, things like mics go out, guitars don't work. The production side doesn't work. Uh, uh, an artist will forget their lyric or something. Uh, the main artist, not a side guy. Like they'll forget their thing. There's yeah, forgiveness yeah. for all of that. I know what that. you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Like on the performance side. Yeah. 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 For sure. And, and production and like, but that's part of the performance yeah. and stuff too. So like yeah. versus like, you know, in the studio, you're setting money on fire and going and going, you know? Yeah, like, totally. No, I, I can agree with it's that. A, it's a, it's a nuanced conversation, yeah. but it's, it's a, most people don't think about it. They just, I, from what I, when I talked to people, they were just like touring is just harder. And I'm like, well, think about it. You <laughs> yeah, know, like people, if you really dive into it, yeah, it is super hard. It's if it was easy, everyone would do it, you right. know? Yeah. But you giving the studio its credit is, there's a certain reverence to it. Totally. Like, I, yeah. I mean, you, you can't be a slouch and there is no forgiveness in the studio. That's a different kind of pressure, man. Oh, yeah. A hundred. Like, and I'm, I have such a respect for that process and I'm such a fan of it because it has been the most humbling mm-hmm. experiences of my life is being in the studio. I mean, mm-hmm. as a musician anyways, you know, honestly, too, same. Yeah. 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 It's uh, and then you think, and you think you can go in there and do it. If you've never done it, I don't care how good you are live, dude. I don't give a shit. Totally. I don't care. Yeah. Walk in that room and let that red button come on and yeah. see how you perform then. And if you if you crush it, then you're then then good for you. If you yeah. crush it your first time, right. good for yeah. you, but doubtful. I don't care how good you are live. Yeah. yeah. No, know? totally. And I guess I speak from experience. Like I, I I got flown up to New York once for a session and like went to go play guitar on somebody's stuff. We sat there for two or three hours and they were like looking their, you know, Try this, try this, try that. You won't hear me on that record because I'm not on it. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, you know. So yeah. it's like it's one of those things. It's like versus. I'm sure if I went on the road with the same guy, we would have a great night tonight. Tonight, yeah, thing. it's a different thing. Yeah, yeah totally. For and sure. ideally, what you would want is ideal. For me, the ideal experience would be being on the road with a band. Yeah. For and, two or three months, mm-hmm. and then going into the studio. That's the perfect world. Yeah. That's the perfect situation. One hundred percent. Yeah. Best of both worlds. Yeah. Totally, and I think this is why one of the reasons why, like I personally, um, this is why I love like I'm going to call it a more organic kind of music, like a bluegrass or or jazz music, or even rock and roll. Um, I, I I prefer those things, and I per- I personally I prefer playing live. Yeah, 
Uh, the studio is nerve wracking. Totally. The, stu the studio really is nerve wracking because, because if, if they have in their mind that they're looking for a sound that you can't produce, because I consider myself a stylistic, a stylistically like versatile, mm -hmm. right? Musician. But I still sound the way I sound because I use the horn that I use. I use the mouthpiece that I use. I use the reed that I use. Mm -hmm. That's my tone. But my tone might not be the tone that a producer has in mind for a track. Right. Sure. And that's where it becomes nerve wracking. And that's where it's like I have to humble myself and go like, hey, no hard feelings, but you might want to get somebody else. Totally. Because I'm, I can only do me. Yeah. I can only sound like me. And and if you're taking if you're asking me to play a, a 16 bar solo over a thing, that that's the nerve wracking part. A 60 bar like a, like a short little solo on a thing, mm -hmm. yeah, that's nerve wracking because you would think well, it's only 16 bars. Maybe you just get in and get out. You'd play your little blues scale and pentatonic yeah. shit, and you get the fuck out. It's not that easy. I, mean, I end up getting in my head so bad yeah. in those moments. Like oh my god, I'm I'm the worst dude. I'm the worst yeah. studio cat because like I'm never happy with it. I end up getting really pissed about it. Like I'll get pissed because like, let's do another one. And I feel like the more takes that you do, it's like the whole like diminishing return yeah, concept. Yeah, that's where it's like, truth. dude, I've, I've just I've given you like ten takes. I mean, they're not going to get better, dude. Yeah, the first one was the best one, and I hate it. Yeah, <laughs> so and I like, hate it. Yeah. that's why I'm the worst, dude. Yeah. Now, now, interesting. Going to talking about that. Um, how like because you guys are both been on you guys have both like been in the studio and, mm -hmm. and are on records right on mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. on albums one thing that i've had to learn how to do over the years is i've had to i've had to like separate myself from the recording by like a significant amount of time yeah right because if you because i'm i'm always going to have the my my attitude is the worst right after i record mm -hmm. I'm like, fuck, man, like this, that wasn't, oh God. And there it is preserved for all eternity. But I find that if I don't think about it, if I do a session and I don't think about it, I separate myself from it for like months and months, mm -hmm. sometimes six, seven months, even a year where it's like, oh, remember that thing we did? Yeah, I finally got around to mixing it, man. You want, yeah. you want to hear it? <laughs> Usually what'll happen is, is I'll go back and I'll listen to it after a year of separation and distance from it mm -hmm. and I'll go, okay, it's not as bad as I remember. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. That, do you, do you, have you guys had to learn how to do that? Oh, and, yeah. and I need to at least hear it in the mix. Like whether that be a month or a year. I like, try not to. Well, so like, because I'm going to hate it. Oh, well, I'm I can't, be like, I can't judge it until someone's put in like the time to get the mix. Cause like I'm comparing it against all these like, mixed records that i love and i'm like also true. not hearing it like that i'm like mm. ah it's not you shit. Mean from a pure like mixed perspective yeah, yeah like, like he goes, yeah, yeah like the engineer oh, shit, goes in and like highs there or yeah something. and they like yeah. put it they put the whole re like tune in context because i hear it all disjointed and i'm like well this sounds like ass right it, it, even if i go six months and listen to it again and if it's not mixed i'm like oh this is pointless yeah but i come back and hear it mixed i'm like oh this is this is what i was envisioning it's yeah it's a little polished, it's tightened, it's all, they tighten the bolts well, for me. that's up to the recording engineers. And, and you got to have someone you trust for that, and, you know, because yeah. you can also hear it back and still be like, nope, this is still not what I want. And right. then, then you can have the conversation of like, all right, well, maybe I need to dub another part and send that to him or something. But like, yeah. I got to at least give it its fair shot in a polished state before I just be like, you know what? I hate this. I'm not, I'm not going for it. Yeah, it was, there are things also on the performance side 
that like in the studio that might come off to you as sloppy or underperformed, right? Um, and when you're listening to it back immediately, when it's not mixed in at all, all you're hearing is that. But you know, chances are the engineer is going to go in there and obviously you know, fuck with the frequencies and make sure it's sitting right with all the other instruments. And then it goes to the mastering process. And then you go and listen back to it and you're like, either you don't notice the little imperfections or those imperfections become like charming characteristics of the solo, mm. right? And I've like noticed a happy that. accident. Like yeah. A happy mistake. Yeah. Or, yeah. And bro, that happened. We have a song um, called Alpha Draconis, which I don't know why it's called that. There's no reference to it in the song. Just <laughs> Billy decided to call it that, and that's what we called it. <laughs> nice. um, and there's a bass solo that Sean did, and uh, it was the first solo. That he just It was the first one played all the way through, okay? It, by itself, you hear, or not even by itself, just like when it's up in the mix and it's, you know, you're listening back, it's like yep. it's floppy. It's like he's like all this nasty shit happening. You hear his like fingers on it. Yeah. It's a super high output bass. And then uh, we were listening to it and he did several, you know, solos, probably like, again, like five, or five, six, seven takes probably. And I'm sitting there like listening to all of his takes and watching the clock, obviously, because I'm putting the bill for all of it. So I'm like, dude, that first solo was dope. It, was like, it just sounds so floppy and gross. And I was like, yeah, but that's the character in it, you know? Like, that's your character. So we listened back to it. And You're a floppy and gross person. <laughs> just roll with it. Embrace yeah. <laughs> it, buddy. So, that's so funny. No, but like, so we heard it, and then I was like, okay, so let's bring let's bring the bass down the mix real quick just to get a better idea of what's going to sound like in reality. Yeah. Let's not have it so up front, right? So we listen to it and all of a sudden you're not hearing the scratching of the fretboard, these little things. You're just hearing like the grit, right? Right. And you're like, and I'm listening to me, like, dude, this is perfect. Yeah. Like this is like a perfect imperfection, mm. right? And now you go back and listen to that bass solo and I can still to this day play that song and listen to that bass solo and sing along with it because it's such a well done constructed solo that he just improvised, you know. And is there's there's moments where uh, maybe like a snobby head up their ass musician who might be like, yeah, it's you know not really like perfectly executed, but I don't give a shit. I listen right. back to that thing and I'm like, dude, that's character right there. Yeah, you know. So to me, it's a perfect bass solo in that context. That's awesome. Know? So, but he probably had to like. He probably had to come to that realization himself, you know. But this is why he should have known, separate, distance yourself from it. Yeah. Forget about it. Forget what you did. Because you might hear it six months, a year from now and be like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Totally. It's kind of yeah. dope. Totally. I've had to learn how to do that, dude, because I, I hated having a bad attitude after sessions. Yeah. And the people that you record for, they don't appreciate it either. They, they actually need your attitude to be good about it so that you promote it, yeah. that you share it with people. There's nothing worse than a person who produces a project that you're on and like you're literally bad-mouthing it. Like, bro, you're fucking my brand up right now. Yeah. Stop doing totally. that, you know? Totally. It was actually a professor in college. Uh, the the shout-outs to Keith Javers. Keith Javers, this is an amazing jazz piano player. I recorded on his album called Mo City Jungle. And, you know, I was young and I was hot-headed. And I did the record. And I was just like, man, no, dude, I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. And he called me out one day. He's like, he's like, dude, he's like, stop that shit. Because, like, I want to, like, promote this record. 
I can't have you shitting on it. You know? Yeah. And they're kind of, you know what? Do you know Barry Green? I, I know. I know who you know, he is. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Barry Green, man. <laughs> when he first got to Jacksonville, so, and I, I used to have the worst habit, and this is something that young musicians need to hear. I had the worst habit of whenever anybody would give me a compliment I know this is going, after yeah. a performance, <laughs> I would like immediately shit on that. I'd be like, nah, dude. No, nah, it wasn't. Ah, man, it wasn't very good, man. Nah, it, I was hacking it, and, you know. And Barry Green, when he first got to Jacksonville, he heard me at a jam session. Man, I was like 16, 17 years old. He comes to Jacksonville, he hears me at a jam session. He's like, he's like, man, you sound really great, man. Da 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 da. And I was like, no, nah, man, dude, that that sucked. And I and I was I, that was my habit. Like the, I literally said that all the time. That was to everybody. Yeah. A stranger could be like, man, I really enjoy the way you play. No, man, it sucked, dude. Mm. Right? One day, fucking Barry Green calls me right out. He was like, Juan, you sounded great. I was like, nah, dude, it sucked. Dude, he got dark. He was like, <laughs> you know what, actually? You know what, you're right, man. It did fucking suck. He's like, because apparently, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. I mean, it's just like... I just got like stone face, like, oh, sorry. He's like, yeah, man. Like, when people compliment you and people like what you do, just say thank you. Yep. Yeah. Just say thank you, man. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, and, and, because you're like devaluing what they, you're, you're telling them that their opinion is shit. Exactly. And they don't know what the fuck they're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Like, that's so rude. Exactly. You know? And I think every musician, they're trying to build you up. They're trying to build you up by saying, hey, something you did affected me positively. Exactly. And you're shitting on them. Yeah. Like, don't do that. I've had this conversation with so many musicians, especially the younger guys. And this is something that happened to me when I was 22. Okay. And I was hitting all the, the, the jams in South Florida at the time. And there was this one Wednesday night uh, blues night that they had this place called the Big Easy in Hollywood. So these guys were older. There was this band called, there is this band in Miami called Ico Ico. They're a pretty popular blues band. Uh, they're kind of like staples and they're credited with like the Miami blues sound like that. That's a sound and they're credited with establishing that sound. Okay. Um, so Mitch, the bass player and Graham, the main songwriter would do this duo every Wednesday. And so I would come out and jam with them from time to time. Uh, and so one night after a gig or after uh, when I sat in with them, uh, Mitch goes like, Hey man, you sound great. And I was like, Oh man, that was, that was not, uh, I, I played terribly. He said, Hey man, don't do that. Hmm. And I was like, well, he's like, just take the fucking compliment, dude. So I'm giving you a compliment here. Don't do what you just did. That's Boom. it's annoying. Same okay. Thing. And I was like, okay. And then he's kind of being a dick about it. And then proceed to have me pack up all their shit and take it out to the van for him. <laughs> because that's just what the, if you're going to jam with us. Yeah. Yeah. You got to fucking, fucking do something. Help. Yeah. 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 So like, um, and then, so that's been ingrained in my head. I can still picture the exact moment that it was all said and went down. I know the setting. I can picture the lighting of the room, mm. all of it to this day. It's still in my head. And fast forward, you know, was this 12 years, 11, 11 years later, last year, I went to go see a friend of mine play, young kid coming up, guitar player. After his set, I said, hey, man, you sound great. He was like, oh, man, nah, um, you know, it wasn't, we didn't really play that well. And I was like, hey, man, just take the compliment. Don't do that shit. You know? And yeah. he was like, kind of like stood back and was like, wait, what? And I was like, listen, man, we're, we're all, like, most of the people in this room are musicians. We're not complimenting you just because, okay? Chances are we, 
of hurt. We heard a few of the mistakes, but that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. We're trying to give you a compliment because we know what the potential is, or we didn't notice what you fucking noticed. Cause right. that's the reality also. Totally. Like I didn't hear what, like, I don't know how your song is supposed to sound perfectly. So exactly. if I'm giving you a compliment, just fucking take it, just dude. Just take it, dude. So yeah, that's something that, that, you yeah. know, I think every musician needs to go needs through. To learn. Yep. You need to have that lesson. Yeah. You, you think you're being humble. You know, like yeah, there's, it, there's a certain element of just like, oh, I'm not, I'm trying to live up to the own expectation in my head. But that's a, that's kind of an ego thing too. You're, totally. you're just saying, oh, well, the, I can write it off this. I can write off that. And you're not thinking about the other people around you. Like you said, right. you're not thinking of like their, their opinions matter. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's all, it's an internal thing, you know? Exactly. You're not being humble. You're be, be humble in other ways, you know, yeah. appreciate that someone took 10 seconds. Gratitude. To talk to you. Yeah, exactly. It's actually humble. Yeah, exactly. Be grateful. A hundred percent. That's what it is. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. My unpopular opinion before we wrap up yeah. uh, is not music related so oh boy um Ooh. it's nothing crazy um trump is awesome yeah <laughs> wait, 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 no, 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 no. and that's a wrap yeah, yeah that's, that's a wrap you later <laughs> <laughs> no um i don't think that you can say that you read a book if you've only listened to the audio book oh interesting <laughs> <laughs> okie dokie <laughs> And I'm uh, guilty. And I don't read. Like, I'm not a. You're big, right, though. Can we extend right? it because to, you didn't read it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, can you, we extend it to like books on Kindle? Because it's not a book. It's it's a digital tablet. You still you read. You still read, but you didn't read a book. I don't care. You did read the book, dude. You okay, read it. If you if you read it, just like, making sure we're clear, because yeah. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Right okay. Well, uh, what I'm talking about <laughs> is the physical act of reading something right. versus listening to something. Sure. Right. So. <laughs> It, when people tell me, and look, I, I listen to audiobooks, okay? I don't, like, I get tired when I read. Maybe it's just I'm not, like, I haven't done enough work on reading to make it an enjoyable experience for me. Sure. But I will not read the book. I just won't. I will listen to the audiobook, though. So when people tell me that they've, oh, I'm reading this book right now. I'm listening to on Audible. I'm like, dude, you're, you're not, not reading the reading fucking it, book. Dude. It's yeah. a different skill set, right? Yeah. I can hear and play music. I don't read music though. Okay. That's just a different skill set. Totally. And I think that it's an important distinction to make also because reading is and will be a dying skill. Right. I think that people aren't reading books the way that they were and that's it is what agree. it is. I'll agree with that. And yeah. I think that Well, people are still reading a lot though. Social media. Yeah, social yeah, requires Ooh, reading. But so sh much shorter and garbagier. Sure, but but you're but still having to reading. process the symbols. They are I, reading. I yeah. I agree and I but I also think that we'll probably that's go back to too. some kind of form of hieroglyphics with all this emoji communication that we're doing now. Throw, call back to another episode. Totally. Um, like I love you is going to be just a little red heart. Just a little heart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It will be like fucking Egyptians again, just communicating with symbols, symbols. and no like words or Isn't anything. That the worst thing. Not, yeah, no, not at all. They walked like beasts. Dude. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> they were really strong. Um, <laughs> pyramids are heavy. Yeah, dude. muscle emoji. <laughs> yeah, muscle. <laughs> so I do think, but and also we 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 can see in real time a, a form of writing that's go going away as dialect like cursive. Okay? Okay, oh. it's bro. When we when I was in in elementary school, I had beautiful. Did you have beautiful cursive? It was never beautiful. I had beautiful cursive. Uh, really? I did. I am. I have atrocious handwriting. Okay. I mean, it's offensive how bad my handwriting <laughs> is. <laughs> and I and I, admittedly so, I can't write cursive anymore. Yeah, it's it just you don't have to do it. And as soon as I got out of 
elementary school or maybe middle school, yeah. I never had to use it again. Right. So it's I've, a muscle that atrophies. Uh, literally. Literally atrophies. Because yeah. your hands, you know, it, it, it's it's motion that you forget how to do. I, I mean, yeah, totally. Totally. It makes perfect sense. So I think we're already seeing certain things like that going away. And even now, the only writing that I actually do is just when I'm writing music, like like l l lyrics. Yeah. You know, I, I'm rarely writing in any other context. It's all typing. Typing. Right. So I think that we just start to notice the modes of communicating through reading apparatuses or whatever are going away slowly but surely. And I think that we're noticing it in books too. More people are listening to audiobooks and they're not reading. But I think that that's, that's a distinction to make because if we don't make that distinction, then we start to conflate reading and listening and then reading will absolutely go away. You really think so? I think so. If if we don't make that distinction, if we keep the distinction there, then they're two separate muscles that we continue to work. And because and, and, I think and, it's still taught. It's it, I mean, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, Kids at an elementary level have to learn how to how to write. Yeah, totally, yeah, yeah for know. sure. But there was like definitely like more of a culture of like the library culture and like the reading and incentivizing reading, especially when you were younger. Like, did you guys have the like like the what is it? The book meters you had in like elementary school? You totally. read like five or six books. 100%. That shit's not going, not on. going on. Like, well, and then of much. course that's compounded by unpopular opinion uh, for some. Yeah. That's compounded by the fact that like now we got like fucking Florida government banning books that we grew up on as kids. Yeah, yeah totally. they were supposed like, to be like instrumental, on. like pieces of knowledge that right. were all shared across the right. country. It's all now part it's of the like sort of literary canon being tossed that's out, being destroyed. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yep. So I don't know, man. I think that there's. Q fascism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fascism light. Welcome at, to Florida. As, yeah. soon, as soon as as soon as you said that, I just had this whole fucking I just, I just went down this rabbit hole of like shit that could go wrong about like the powers not uh, that be not wanting people to read so you can't consume information sure. that's like older so that that way you're not like, you know, like like information that really only exists in the the modes of reading, right? And then if you don't know how to read, then you can't consume it and then history is bound to repeat itself with the powers that be kind of want that because the structure has always been these people existing at the top. I, you know? I see that fear, but I think there is like a certain level, like if you're seeking out information, because like you can just consume garbage media in your free time, but like whether you read it or listen to it, if you're taking the time to like take something in, sure, like there's a certain skill, but there's also just like a general mindset of like what you do in your free time that like, if you don't, whether you read or listen to an audiobook, you could just not do either of those things and like listen to a podcast or you could do, you know, something a lot less, you know, intellectual, maybe even if it is just like a, a you know, a novel or something, you know, it's like that if you're taking that time in general, there's still like a certain reverence for it, whether yeah. you read it or listen to it. I get that there's like you're speaking maybe a little more technically of just like the act of reading. Yeah. Well, and also how we process information is differently when, when we're listening versus reading. But I think right? that's, but there's people are different and like learn different ways. So like, totally. whereas like, you know, uh, my mom and sister are both highly dyslexic and don't, you know, don't read, but they can take an audio book and they can get so much more of it out of that. Like, yeah. so like that initial just like quest mm. to like take information in, like if you're seeking it, that's totally cool. Like, and I being having both options, I think it's just like 
again, like what are you willing to do at that time? Yeah. But like, sure, being able to read is super important. Like, dude, you know what's interesting? That goes yeah. hand in hand with what you're talking about. Yeah. I can't watch movies anymore without subtitles. Oh, we just oh, talked boy, about oh, this boy. in the podcast. Really? But you're that way. I'm that way. I think. I think when I when I'm. And it's okay. I can do it in conversation. I can pay attention. I've got, I'm, I've tried to be better, but like I said mm-hmm. at, the, at the beginning, I'm pretty fucking ADD, sure. and always have been. Like I'm always like you, somebody's talking to me, and at a certain point, it, this happened a lot as a kid, which is why I didn't excel academically necessarily. Was because it's like I'd be paying attention. The teacher would start talking, and within five minutes, she would sound like the teacher on the fucking peanuts, wah, yep. wah, wah, wah. and I was just not retaining the words right Mm -hmm. and that has that has kind of stuck with me through my adult life when i started watching movies Mm -hmm. with subtitles for me personally it like draws me into the narrative way better than if i was just listening to it yeah i'll I'll forget i'll forget what they're saying or i won't catch i won't catch it but if i can read it in conjunction with them saying it Mm -hmm. it's almost like i remember it better and i and i comprehend it better yeah you're so you're you're that's for me yeah yeah yeah. you're taking it in it's not it's not an issue of not being able to hear it right i love reading it yeah yeah you know it's yeah it's 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 like you have like you're you're taking the the information in in two different modes like you're hearing and reading and reading for you you're probably more of a visual person or learner so like for you you can see the information and process it much easier that way my girlfriend's the same way um i hate subtitles when i'm watching something i think especially if you're watching a comedy or a mystery Uh. movie it gives it away everything. It. Yeah, ah, it spoils it. It, yeah. it drives me crazy. And as somebody who I can understand the um, the, the the wandering of the of the mind yeah. when you don't have the reading there to kind of keep you grounded or watching or anchored in in the moment, it happens to me too. But I wouldn't. I think that happens to everybody. I don't. I don't consider what I'm experiencing to be ADD. Now I can sympathize if you do have ADD. Um, and why that having that extra thing might um, help you out. Sure. But man, as somebody who doesn't have it, and I'm sitting there watching it with the movie on, it's annoying as fuck. It drives me <laughs> fucking crazy. I get it, dude. And especially, and my one, my one non-negotiable on this is if we're watching a stand-up special, no fucking subtitles, dude. Yeah. You fucking deal with it, okay? Because yeah. I will not have the punchlines of my favorite fucking comedians yeah, ruined, ruined by, by your inability to pay attention. Okay. Ah, but now we read, but, but you know, you don't have to look at the subtitles. I, this is, this you is don't the have thing, to read them. This is the You're same correct. shit. It's like, you know what? Well, you don't have to breathe air. But you oh, fucking fuck do. Off. Yeah, you okay? do. You don't have to drink water. <laughs> we die if we don't. That's what I'm saying, right? You, there's there's consequences to action. <laughs> I, I Doesn't you. mean that you that, that that like you have to or don't have. To. You don't totally. have to drink water, but you die if you, if you don't, if you right? Don't. And so I don't have to read the subtitles, but it becomes a huge distraction because right. now I'm focusing on not paying attention to the subtitles. That sounds I'm not like taking a in. you problem. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, needing subtitles is admittedly a me problem yeah exactly you know? exactly you know? so fucking hey man look different strokes different <laughs> yeah. folks baby. yeah 
Different Maybe stop Alex watching stand up and go read a book. How about that? Yeah, dude? okay. I love stand up. Who are some it's, of your favorite oh, modern stand ups? Mark Norman. Ah! Um, uh, Did fucking, you watch Soup to Nuts? I just yeah. watched fucking it. amazing. Dude. Uh, his special was fantastic. I loved it, dude. Uh, Tom Segura's new special was great. Oh, so good. Schultz. Um, Shane Gillis. Gil Tony, uh, Tony Hinchcliffe. Shane Gillis is one Shane of my Gillis favorites is, right now. Nice. Uh, David yeah, Lucas. Yeah. David um, Lucas. It's hilarious. Yeah. Cam Robinson's a new guy coming up. Yep. Cool. Fucking awesome. I'm huge in stand up. Yeah, I love stand up, dude. It's my. It's my other obsession outside of music, yeah. and I would probably even at this point more obsessed with stand up totally. than I am with music. I can tell you, there's a lot of a lot of music coming out now that I'm not up on. Yeah. I know every fucking stand up that's coming up right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just obsessed with it. It's a, because there's there's so many parallels between stand up and music, especially oh in the God. improv yes. sense. And yes. then when you know on the podcast when they're talking about stand up. And the the like the crafting of the jokes and the writing and then also the business side of it, there are again so many parallels with music, but it's also far enough removed. It's far enough removed where I don't feel like a piece of shit for not practicing or like focusing on music. Right? Mm. It's like well, yeah. there's parallels here and it's yeah. all relatable, but it's also not music. So I know that I don't I don't need to worry about this. Right. But if I listen to musicians talk about the same thing. Ironically enough, being a podcast, <laughs> um, I I start to get in my head about what I'm what I what I'm not doing and what I need to be doing. Uh, I'm like, why am I listening to you talk? I should be doing exactly what you're saying. Yeah, right now, yeah. Right. So there's a weird thing that co- yeah. comedy is a good departure for me. Yeah, yeah. I just like it because I mean I feel like it 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 if you watch enough of it, um, it it just I feel like it it enhances our personality. I I, I feel like the ability to make someone laugh. It's really, it's a, a remarkable gift. Mm-hmm. You know, laughter is so important, you know? And so when somebody can, like, say something hilarious, man, like, I just have the highest respect for that. Like, dude, you just cracked me up. Like, yeah. Thank you. That I needed that. You know what totally. I mean? Like, I love that. And I feel like watching a lot of stand-up, I mean, it's uh, it's akin to being a musician and listening to a lot of music. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, obviously listening to a lot of stand-up isn't going to make us stand-up comedians. Mm. But it might in subtle ways enhance our own funniness yeah you know what i mean yeah i I think it does which is i feel like an important social skill yeah i mean totally man for musicians like especially we need that example because so many of us can be like quiet and introverted brooding yeah it's like it's like we're like the we're like the fucking you know um the disgruntled artist or whatever just the one we're suffering all the time and you know like we we're in our own heads, so like yeah. we're not always so quick to catch things, right? So like jokes Sad. can fly over our heads and shit. So to watch that really helps me catch things I might not have been aware of. Yes. Um, and also be quicker in my own response and just conversationally, you know? Totally. So I, I get so much value out of stand-up comedy. Yeah, me too. You know? um, That's awesome. Juan, this has been so much fun, Dude, bro. Dude, yeah, this is awesome, man. I This probably... This has been long. I mean, like, we've been here a long time. This is probably one of our longest running ones. I mean, longest in a couple of years. But it doesn't feel like it. It Not at all. I I only knew that it was when I looked at the time. I was like, holy shit. (laughs) We've been here a minute, man. Yeah. But but you know what? That just goes to show you that, like, when you're having bristling discourse, you know, like, like, Mm -hmm. the time will fly, man. You can lose a lot of time just having 
good, meaningful totally. conversations. I, I was going to say, like, before we got to unpopular opinions, I was just sucked in, you know, and I mean, I was just listening. Yeah, you literally. Know, yeah, like, you were like, sitting there. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there was, I mean, there was nothing to say. It was just, uh, it was, it was a great conversation to listen to. And I hate analyzing it while we're still in it. But it was like, like you said, it just, it was like that. I'm like, I looked I up. I'm it, like, man. so shit. thank you guys for literally for uh, giving me the opportunity to be on my first podcast yeah man never done it before i mean i'm just i'm happy that you came cool. on and yeah. it's you know just we we love doing this yeah. and it's been you know awesome having you here and talking well the man. next step is we got to just make some music together yep you know <laughs> like they gotta make that happen a hundred percent always bro. hungry to play i'd fucking love to do that you know and and and, and i don't have to come and play like jazz i'm yeah. not a jazz guy i'm a musician you know? for sure man so like i'd love to come and jam with you guys and hell yeah man you know, all that stuff. we'll make it happen Most definitely. definitely so um yeah thank you man yeah Appreciate man both of you guys definitely. uh so the 23rd at blue jay yep september 23rd at blue jay 8 to 10 um I, she i don't know if it's up on the website yet but there there should be like there will be a, a ticket link there is a ticket link i actually posted um, I've got the information and and I don't want to like annoy people with like I'm not gonna like repost it every day. Um, but I wanna do it at like week, two week intervals leading up to the twenty third. Yeah, totally. Where it's like I'll I'll repost it and it will have like a ticket a ticket link on there for like nine oh four ticks dot com or whatever. Okay. Um but yes, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that. That's probably uh, as far as upcoming shows, that's the one that to me is like I would say the most like personal and and meaningful. I've got a handful of things coming up um, in, in other bands that I play with, like Billy Gilmore and Friends, which is like basically bluegrass with horns. Uh, we're playing like this Friday. We're going to be at Dog Rose Brewery in St. Augustine, um, and then uh, I'm playing. I think we're doing uh, the the Florida like Fin Fest with. Uh, I'll be doing that with LPT. You know, there's 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 a handful of things coming up, but I would say. The most important one for me would be a love supreme, you know, our very humble rendition of the great John Coltrane's "A Love Supreme." Awesome. Yeah. Um, can we, Chris? Can we make sure that this episode gets up that week if it's not already scheduled for most, that week? Most definitely. Okay. Cool. We'll make yeah. sure that this because we have a bunch of backlog right now, but we'll make sure this comes out the week of the show. That'd be awesome. So that you know, help hopefully get some visibility and stuff. Totally. So yeah. So come and see it this Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> come and see it this Saturday. This Saturday at Blue Jay Listening Room. Fuck yeah. Yeah. So thank um, you guys. Absolutely, man. Well, uh, thanks for being here and thank you guys for tuning in. We will see you next time. Awesome. Peace. Later.